Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk Splits. Today is a incredibly fun conversation with Walter Schreifels returning to the show for his his uh, fourth time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk Splits. Today on the show, Walter Schreifels returns for the first time in four years for his fourth appearance on the show in celebration of the brand new reissue of the Rival Schools United by Fate album on Run for Cover Records. And I thought, what better way to, to hang out with Walter than inviting my fellow Walter fan and my good friend Jason Green of the legendary Orchid, Panthers, and of course of the 24-hour video podcast, uh, also making his return to the show, and we have a really fun conversation. I am, oh man, am I very excited for you to hear this one. Uh, as I mentioned off the top, this is uh, in celebration of this reissue that is uh, coming out on Run for Cover of the Rival Schools album. I think the regular version is out now. There's going to be a special Record Store Day version coming out on on uh, Black Friday, uh, which is November 25th. We don't we don't have Black Friday up in Canada, but I, I'm, we have Record Store Day up here. So we might, we probably have a Black Friday Record Store Day thing here. Uh, anyway, on November 25th, it's going to be coming out. It's got a bonus disc with 10 other tracks on it. As we talk about on the show, I saw Rival Schools on their very first tour. I think it's their second ever show in the UK. Uh, I've loved this band. I, I, you know, everything. Walter, as we talk about on this show, Walter's a artist that you can go deep with. He has been putting out quality music for quite some time now in various projects, be it Gorilla Biscuits or Quicksand or Rival Schools or Warzone or Youth of the Day or uh, Moondog. That Moondog stuff is, is fire. It's so good. But that is that is uh, for another show, I guess, talking about the Moondog stuff because today we are here to talk about, well, you'll hear us talk about everything on the show. Uh, so go pick up that run for cover reissue of rival schools and also check out Jason Green's fantastic 24 hour video podcast. You can find out more information about all sorts of stuff that Jason is involved with over at jasongreen.org and, uh, everyone's on social media too. So just Google, you know, you get all these, all this stuff when you Google people, uh, that is it. <laughs> Oh, I'm excited for you to hear this one. This is a fantastic conversation. Uh, apologies. I was, I was supposed to have another episode of Turn It a Punk Out, but uh, this week kind of got away from me, so I just want to make sure I get the splits out and then back to our normal schedule as of next week. Uh, that's it. Uh, thank you for listening. Here we go. Uh, you can grab a T-shirt over at turnitapunk.com. Subscribe to this podcast or rate it. Or, and if you want to get in touch with us, turnitapunkpodcast at, G- turn at gmail.com. And, uh, and, uh, I think, I think that's, oh, I played in a band We're called fucked up more information over there at fucked up.cc and that is it. All right. Enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Walter, welcome back to the show. Oh, it feels good, man. Thanks so much. Four times, man. This is the Damn fourth it. appearance. Damn it. Just, just can't get enough. I love it. Well, it's been though, but it's been about four years since your last Has appearance. It? Yeah. Jeez, oh, jeez. What what kept you away? What did I do? Um, I guess we were all just kind of taking a break there for a little while. So let's just lop two and a half years off of that. So let's say <laughs> then 
if you do that, then it's really only been a year and a half, which is fine. That's you true. Know, honestly, that's all right. There's a lot of people out there, you know, to talk to. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy with this clip. <laughs> well, I didn't come alone this time. I brought backup with me, of course, returning to the show is my buddy, Jason Green, member of Orchid and also Panthers. And Jason, what did Walter do with the Panthers that one time? <laughs> that makes it sound a little sketchy <laughs> it's sketchy, no, I mean, but it's not it's the most wholesome story it's very, possible no it's very we we played together at an old venue in williamsburg called north six which is now the williamsburg hall of music yeah yeah of course way in 2000 or something yeah yeah long but, time ago yeah. you said walter was the only guy that bought a record at that primal screen oh that is another thing yeah you, we opened up for Primal Scream uh -huh. at Irving Plaza. Yep, I was there. One record, and it was to you. That was, that was me. <laughs> and I was thrilled. I was oh, thrilled. that's so cool. Yeah, I still have it. I mean, to be fair, it's, it's a CD compact disc. Oh, okay. All right. To be fair. But that's, <laughs> that's, what, fair. that's what, was, that was what people were doing back then. That's and the, probably the times. Probably doing it again now for, you know, it's been a 20-year cycle or whatever. So, uh but yeah, that was great. Dude. What had you? That's amazing. You guys played with Primal Scream. That's dope. Such a great. Yeah, band. we. It was a last. We were a last minute fill in. Okay. Uh, David Blaine was there. It was a hell of a show. God damn. Oh, that's the David Blaine show that you've told me about. David too. Blaine and Harmony Corinne were there together. <laughs> damn it! What a squad. David Blaine was, was riding squad. high back then. It was like was. I got. You know, he was thinking, "What the hell can I do next, man? I think I'm gonna like." freeze what did he do did he freeze himself and like was it or was it what he was like in Times square or some shit for a while and all the things you're saying he did and he froze at himself some point he was in a tank of water go, yeah at some point i think people just go i'm sick of this guy <laughs> yeah because everyone is secretly waiting for the thing to go wrong yeah like the whole time they're just like oh i can't wait to see what happens when this doesn't work and then and when there's a lack of magic to it you know what i mean it wasn't really magic it was just like I guess perseverance, you know what I mean? Like of Endurance. being, and it doesn't really compare with the kind of perseverance of what it takes to do something like, uh, you know, run an ultra marathon or something like that. But yet this guy's getting rich off of it. I think there's something about that that just irked people after a while. I think it's also, it stopped being magic. It got so yeah. far away from magic where it's just yeah, like it magic. It's just like watching a dude torture himself. It's like, when's the rabbit come out of the hat? Yeah, give me some some rabbit stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. people aren't doing rabbit stuff anymore. Like do that and do that. and show people what's good about. You know what I mean? Like what everybody's doing. Do the opposite. Go go back to the roots. Get a rabbit. Start there. I also like my my favorite era of of magicians were when they like were kind of like homely. Like Ricky, what was his name? Ricky J. Was that? Oh yeah, he's amazing. He's yeah. amazing. Like one of the greatest magicians yeah. of all time. Also yeah. famously played on Don Kirshner's rock pile just before they showed the clip of the Ramones. Oh, wow. oh really? Yeah. Okay. I gotta, I gotta go on YouTube for that. That's pretty, pretty dope cameo. Yeah. He was also in like a bunch of, uh, he was a big David Mamet guy David Mamet, and guy. he's in uh, a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson films. That's right. Yeah. I interviewed what about Doug Henning, dude, Doug Henning. That's oh, a my good God. That, that guy's iconic. Yeah. He, we actually, uh, down the street from the last remaining vaporizer bar in Toronto is where he lived. So oh, wow. you can get high and then go walk by his house and feel feel the magic and levitate. Yeah. You ran for prime minister. 
Shut he, up. He was a, Doug Henning was the prime minister? No, no. no. <laughs> He didn't get elected. He ran. I know you guys are cool up in Canada, but that's just—I would have heard about that. <laughs> no, he ran, and it was—and it was like one of those defining elections for me because it's when I was just becoming, you know, politically aware at the age of like sort of thirteen, fourteen, and, and following the election. And he ran for the Natural Law Party, and his goal was his, his campaign promises was that he was going to levitate the Parliament building through meditation, and. Mm. Yeah, he did this whole like campaign. I don't think he got on the debates, but he was like, he finished like sixth, I think, oh, that year. That's so good. He was in. The, he was in the running. I think that's better than Jello did in the mayor election I in think San that's Francisco. True, yeah. Right. Right. And as a New Yorker, you've got to love uh, Copperfield making the Statue of Liberty disappear. Yeah. Right. Did that happen? What was that? That was sort of like people were like a little annoyed about that. Yeah, there it was a TV. He was doing these big TV specials, and yeah. that was one of them. You can see how he does it. There's a YouTube clip that shows you how he pulled it off. Really? Yeah. Bring it all down now. It's I like a it was a rotating stage, so it. Yeah. I, I, can't <laughs> knock, I don't want to spoil it. Okay, don't spoil it, but that's just absurd. I think I just like on the face is like, no, you can't do that, dude. We know magic is just illusions. You know, at least that's what's cool about Doug Henning. He would say it's illusions. That's true. Magic is an illusion. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of cool. He, no he wonder was, he got sixth place. Yeah, no, and you can go, and as I say, he, he his house has a plaque in front of it, so he, yeah. is, he is immortalized in this country. He's celebrated. In a, in that's a wonderful. A lot of these guys just end up sketchy, you know, like, I, like um, Chris Angel. I kind of had a little bit of a Chris Angel vibe for a while. I was kind of... <laughs> into his deal for a little bit he does that well, thing you met your dress like chris angel for a while yeah. <laughs> i wish i could pull that look off but it is iconic you know what i mean but where yeah. he does that thing where he like kind of lifts his feet and he's like kind of he's levitating right yeah that's yeah, yeah. Like, that's a classic chris angel and also the, the kind of like merging of like where you said like these guys were nerds but actually they weren't nerds but because you even think of david copperfield he had Claudia Schiffer yeah. as his, I think he married her. Yeah, they were married. They were, they were married. Amazing. They like, yeah, like he was, he was a rock star. He was like yeah, a, a rock star. Yeah, he, and, he was like the Chris Michael Angel kind of did that up, like literally like dressing like kind of like Joe Perry, like, you know, uh, it, it's a, it's an interesting, oh, I guess they made a comedy. Didn't uh, Will Ferrell make like a magician movie too, or someone made a magician movie? They Yeah, I think Steve Carell. Steve Carell, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, they also did it as a bit on Human Giant, Mind Freaker or something. I think it was called. Mind Freak, Mind Freak is Chris Angel, isn't it? That is Mind it was, Freak. Is that's Angel. the actual name. It's a, that's well, the, actual the song. Name. The theme song was written by uh, the guy from Corn, oh, Jonathan wow. Davis. I think wrote the theme song, and Chris cool. Angel sings it. That's a that's great amazing. era. Yeah. They probably hung out in Vegas like all the time. They had oh, the best yeah. fucking yeah. time. Like I wish I went out with like Chris Angel and uh, Jonathan from uh, from Corn and just like I mean I probably wouldn't last to be honest. You'd I'd all be canceled, I'm sure. You, I would get canceled, and I probably would just be like, oh God, guys, I can't go to this next thing. <laughs> who who do you think was like a like a harder hit in the streets crew though, Harmony Korine and David Blaine or the uh -huh. other duo? Because I'm like I don't think you're surviving either night. <sighs> I like to think I can roll with Bland and Corinne a little bit deeper. I think, I think that Chris Angel and Jonathan, those guys, I don't know. It's just that West coast Vegas vibe. Like New York's yeah. just a little bit more 
I don't want to say classy, but maybe <laughs> that's the word. You wouldn't have to wear a feather boa. Yeah, like it would just could just get too crazy there. I think like in New York, you'd be like, okay, I, I I'm I'm around people and let's just be normal. I don't know. I think New York, I would I would be reminded of my surroundings. Where in Vegas, you're full of oxygen and you're just like kind of going with the natives, and the natives are just doing really crazy shit. That's why I kind of just <laughs> stay away from that place. Yeah. But um. If I had like some sort of handler, helper, like safe word kind of thing, you know, maybe I'd, I'd try it out for a while. I had one night in Vegas with Fat Mike, and that was one of the scariest <laughs> things I've ever experienced. Oh, damn. Yeah, that's <laughs> I was, pretty wild. And it was when I was still like, you know, I was I was still full straight edge, dude. So mm -hmm. it was just a sober oh, wow. sidecar ride on, on the motorcycle to hell. It was. Oh, my God. That's crazy. great though. Yeah, you'd have to do it. You'd have you'd want to be sober in that that way for sure. Yeah, I guess there's like only one way to go, which I you know a lot of ways I have you to thank for that, Walter. So thank you for making me sober in that moment. Oh man, you're welcome, dude. That's great. <laughs> it was I a love that. <laughs> you had a big impact. On. You know what the thing is that has come up a lot since you've been on the show? Huh? How you are the chillest, coolest dude. Oh. It's a weird way to start it, uh -huh. but uh, it does come up a lot, especially oh. with younger bands and just uh -huh. how meeting you and having you kind of like co-sign but also like treat bands like peers i think uh -huh. and not just like the next generation of fan kids uh -huh. i think that's something that people bring up all the time about you and was that like is that like a conscious thing you do or is that just because you had a bad experience with other people or is that like just how you think people should treat people like i don't know where does that come from because it is kind of weirdly the exception oh damn it my phone's going off um you're gonna be a nice guy to answer it though <laughs> yeah i would i would be but i'm in more like chill mode right now not nice guy mode um <laughs> So uh, oh, it's gonna be you're saying it's gonna be an aggressive interview then. <laughs> <laughs> no, but anyway, it's it's very it, that's that's really awesome that that um that anyone would say would, would characterize me that way. But like uh, I guess it's just you know kind of basic. Uh, I remember one of the first shows I went to see was um, where it's like kind of a punk show. I saw Husker Du, and uh, and what really blew my mind, at, I saw him in Irving Plaza, and afterwards I saw greg norton the bass player and um like just kind of like in the hallway and i just was talking to greg norton and he was just totally normal and nice to me and um and you know this sort of like to me he was sort of a rock star but he was like super normal and super nice and i just felt so like good from just having a normal conversation with someone that i figured had better things to do than to talk to me so i, I kind of like uh you know, in some ways as a guy in a band, you know, maybe that that seemed like the, the coolest way. So I would have to, I thank Greg Norton from Who's Could Do, who might be an asshole in other realms. But to me, he was so nice and made me think like um, I, I wasn't thinking like when I make it music, I'm going to be a nice guy or anything like that. But it just seems like be normal <laughs> and be nice to people, you know, um, because uh, I think it's also like um, when people are. You know, I mean, I, I'm, there's people that I'm nervous to meet all the time. And I think it's really nice when someone can be disarming and give you a, a, an opportunity to like um, to kind of share your personality in, in a more on an equal plane. Because I think people are usually more interesting that way than than they are if they're like 
nervous or feel they have to play a role or, or something like that. But um, I don't think about it too much, but I, I, you know, that, that, that I guess I'm kind of like more like that. Has there ever been like, do you get, do you find people like have preconceived notions about what you're going to be like and who you're going to be like based on the bands you've been in before they meet you? A lot of times, like, are there people that come at you with like aggression? Like, obviously, Grill uh, Biscuits was fairly posy ob- the whole time, but yeah, because of because of that, like, do you, do you were you ever met with that kind of attitude from people? It's funny. I think um, I, th- I look at picture my pictures of myself from that time, and Grill Biscuits is so kind of funny and silly in a lot of ways. But I, th- I look at myself in pictures. I mean, sometimes I think on stage, I act like, you know, hard or something, you know what I mean? Or even, especially in quicksand, there's like a bit of that. I remember meeting um, when uh, I met uh, with Chino for the first time. One of the times he he said to me, you know, when I was first met you, I was scared to meet you because like, if you listen to the quicksand shit, I sound like so pissed off and like, kind of like, a lot of the lyrics are this sort of like, I see through your bullshit kind of thing. And um, so I thought that was so interesting because my self perception is so different than that. But if you're just like, you know, um, catching it off of that. So I think, I mean, nowadays, I guess like what you said, like, I guess for anybody that like, I'm not like so wildly famous, but for people who who know who I am or something, I, I, I'm happy that that people see me as approachable and, uh, you know, and, and feel like, uh, yeah, I mean, why not? Why not be, pro- it's, it takes, it takes probably more energy to be an asshole, or at least for me, it does, you know, not that you, what would be the upside of being an asshole? I guess you, maybe people would approach you less and maybe, you know, I, I think someone like Lou Reed seems like, uh, I mean, you know, I love Lou Reed. He's amazing, but I mean, as, as an icon for being an asshole, he, he, he's pretty up there. And he sets the standard. Yeah, he's pretty high level. Um, and uh, or like, say, Bob Dylan, like I heard a story about Bob Dylan. Someone was working on his tour, like uh, some guy that I know this is anecdotal, but, you know, he'd just been on the tour for like a day or something like you can't talk to Bob if you're on the crew. You're not allowed to talk to Bob. So he got on an elevator with Bob and uh, and, uh, you know, just him and Bob alone. And he said, uh, hey, hey, Bob, I'm just wanted to say like, I'm really happy to be on, on the tour. You know, it's really cool. And Bob, Oh, great. And then, um, he, you know, they left, got off the, the thing five minutes later, the dude was fired. You I've know heard what that I mean? story too. I've actually heard that exact story. Okay. So, so my thought about that is, Oh, what a dick Bob's like fired him for sit. I think of it in these terms, like, uh, and this is not for me. My time is not that valuable, but Bob Dylan, every second of Bob Dylan being alive, is like a sort of national, you know, a universal treasure of this, this man's time. He can't, if he starts talking to the guy in the elevator, then he walks out of the elevator and some other person, Oh, Bob, I love, uh, you know, uh, like a rolling stone. Let's talk about the lyrics. And then he can't, he can't do anything. And then he can't perform. Then he can't think, and he can't do all this other kind of crap. So, you know, people have their different rationales for why they might be a dick or something like that. But I don't know, I guess I'm not so famous or something that it's like a hassle for me it's usually just nice like i went to get a coffee the other day the guy goes hey walter you're great and he you know i just got a coffee from a stranger that just thinks i'm great like that's super nice like my, uh, i that's a win for me i I'm, I'm grateful i think for someone like bob dylan it also at a certain point becomes like 
we were talking about this earlier, it just becomes like the damage you suffer. Like Jason and I were talking about this, that the, like fame at every level can be psychologically damaging. And it doesn't yeah. have to be like Bob Dylan levels. Like we, we've all been around 100%. punk people to know that it could be punk fame too. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Absolutely. And I guess the, the, the counter side of that is to, you know, when I think of Bob Dylan, I think the ultimate kind of, and I don't, I've, I've met sort of Lou Reed. Um, and I just was so conscious of him being his reputation that I was just like really, really careful not to like cross any boundary at all. Um, but on the other side, you have someone like David Bowie, who was like, to me, like kind of the ultimate of all the ultimate artists, you know, in, in all ways, super cool, like cool to people easy. You know what I mean? So I guess it's like your, your flow. Like, do you want to spend your energy um, pushing people away so that you have your space or do you allow people to like flow through like more like martial arts vibe? You know what I mean? Like, cause David Bowie could probably never have a free moment um you know in a way because if i got a chance to talk to david bowie you know i would just like hang on his leg and never let him go you know what i mean it would just uh but you know but he had to function and stuff like that so i don't know yeah i think and i think what you're saying is true about like any sort of level of like um yeah some sort of public note you know what i mean like you do have to come across that and some people are really good with it some people struggle with it and um you know, and that's just a part of the thing, you know. Have you ever seen that crazy Bob Dylan show? I think it's in like, uh, I want to say Wisconsin or something where there's no barricade and kids are just like straight up getting on stage and crowd surfing and talking to him in the middle of songs. And he's like laughing and wow. talking to these kids on stage. It's like, he must have been on something that night, like to not be <laughs> freaking out and shutting down the show. What era was that? What, what, oh my God, everyone's got to fucking text me now. I don't even know how to. Too much these. of a nice guy, Walter. Can't yeah, stop. no, I got to shut these people down. I got to <laughs> shut their asses down. Um, got, I'm going to have to try to figure out how to get off this. Like, you know what I mean? There's some sort of feature where you can get off the text, and I'm just like, too nice to know it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm too nice to know. <laughs> I can't ever mute this thing. Oh my God, stop, guys. I'm writing them right now and just like, please stop texting. <laughs> is it a group chat it's a group chat how the hell do you get off these things uh i don't think it's like that i thing right you get it silent group chat i don't know silent oh jesus christ whatever i'm sorry guys just real (laughs) morning for me i made you watch me do a dab so you know i really started this interview off on a professional foot yeah yeah i love that i love that's why i always love to be to talking with you today i mean it's always good like that I know, like, I I feel like, uh, you know, we haven't hung out like tons and tons of times, but every mm-hmm. time we've hung out for me has been incredibly memorable, including like yeah. the time I saw you in the street with my mom, who's since passed away oh. since we did the podcast. But oh, we're... I'm so sorry, Damon. No, thank you, man. Day. Thank you. But we were oh. going to go do, I was going to go with, with Walter to a dab lounge and smoke <laughs> weed with my mom one time. <laughs> I love that. I was just walking in Toronto. It's like, hey, Walter, want to go hang, want to smoke with me, my mom? And I'm so pissed off because I think I actually had an interview that I had to go to. And that's why I couldn't couldn't hang with you guys. I think you were with a friend who didn't want to do it, actually. And, and that was oh, the that's thing. What that, it was. Okay. Yeah. I knew there was some sort of like, God damn it. Like, I wanted to do He was that. with Bob Dylan. <laughs> he was with Bob Dylan. Yeah. Yes, I can't go. Bob, Bob's with me right now. I got Bob here with me. He's being cool. It's like a dream that you have, you know, like where you're like, oh, I'm friends with Bob Dylan. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> I don't know. Like, 
I imagine it's like a lot of like emotional work to be friends with Bob Dylan too, right? Like, um, yes, I think uh, it's probably, I don't know. You probably have to just set your expectations. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like of what, what you can get. I've read his, I read his biography or uh, one of his, I mean, there's tons of biographies and I feel like I've read his autobiography as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's like, uh, he's like iconic. I mean, it's just like, he's, I just think of people like that, their time is at a certain point. Like, I mean, even look at his interviews in the sixties, he was already fucking over these people asking stupid questions, people just wanting to know, like, you know, where something that he did is so becomes so meaningful, um, to people when it's, when it's sort of, uh, you know, uh, when people, you know, listen to his songs or whatever, or, or through his actions or how he dresses or something like that is like, you know, instructing people on the, how the world works or telling them something about their personality or explaining something like, you know, where it has this like heavy significance. And, um, of course, like Bob Dylan under, I think understands that, but he kind of in a way acts like he doesn't, but you could tell even in those like 1960 interview that the question, the stupid questions people are asking him and him answering them in an honest way. Um, but, uh, and it would make for these like really interesting kind of absurd press conferences. You know what I mean? Like you'd see with the, you know, we're kind of getting into like music history and stuff, but like, you know, you see how like the Beatles do a press conference, you know, where they're kind of like goofing, you know what I mean? And then sometimes they would, they would be kind of, sharp at pointing out the absurdity of it too um you know uh i guess it was just like these meetings of these um you know kind of like straight media world to this new kind of music that they just really really did not understand um but you know i think bob's got to realize like all these people have written all these different truths and meanings into the things that he's just doing for you know whatever his motivations are he's just like needs to do it you know to get it out there you know to express some sort of emotion but i guess that's what's really cool about not only music but like the people who make it and like part of the reason that we like um you know some bands or or you know um or or kind of like people that like uh have a certain charisma or something like that. Like that's part of, it's part of the package. You know what I mean? It's like if Bob Dylan didn't have that curly hair, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, would we feel the same about it? You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's, or, you know, uh, you see these bands in the seventies that had great songs, but they just like had, they looked so like ordinary. It just didn't, doesn't pop or like a band that has like a great song, but the name of the band sucks. So you just don't care. You never hear about it. You know what I mean? And someone like Bob Dylan just like kind of hits all of those. Uh, for me, kind of hits all of them. He like is cool, writes great songs, um, you know, whatever. He's he's insane. Just like this text thread that just keeps going through. I got to stop. <laughs> Seriously, I've had enough. I'm just going to tell him, take, please take me off the thread. I'm on a fucking interview. Play a great interview, but I'm. I'm oh, uh, you know what? That that's all you need to say, man. Just put me over, and I, I, I don't. I'll, I'll forgive it. Okay, um, please take me off the thread. <laughs> I'm in an interview. I'm on an interview. I'm doing an interview. All right, so please, guys, listen. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Maybe you can edit that part out. In an interview. Thanks. What are you talking about? This is gold, Walter. 
It's all gold, buddy. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, so we don't have to talk about Bob Dylan anymore. I really no, I, and I love talking about Bob Dylan because I think he is directly relatable. Like, obviously, that leads right into Lou Reed talking about Lou Reed. But I think mm-hmm. the idea yeah. of like in punk rock and in pop culture in life, people have taken that spiritual void that historically has been filled with religion or admiration mm. for leadership. Yeah. And as people's faith in these traditional institutions has, has died, mm. what's been replaced with it is this admiration and love of, of celebrity. And yeah. like we were talking about the idea of like, you know, you see it happening with like, you know, look at Jell by Afro, look at the way people talk about Ian Mackay, yeah. you know, where, where he becomes like a moral compass for people in the same way that a religion would have felt Fill, fill for that sure. for someone, you know? and, and, and you, you know yourselves through that New York youth crew thing. Uh-huh. There are people that devote their life to that. You know, there's yeah. there's 50 year old adults right now that are that they adhere to it like it was a re- religion, specifically like you know youth crew as as yeah. you know as opposed to just broadly speaking hardcore and stuff. And I think that really does start with the Beatles and Bob Dylan, Elvis maybe, and I'm sure there were opera singers and things like that that also had that sort of cult following but like to me it's really like you're saying like the the sort of like cult culture that arises in through pop culture around that time where like the the cult of bob dylan for sure i i think that's very interesting and 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 the i i would guess yeah it kind of corresponds also with like you know where you have you know these kind of frank sinatra uh, Elvis Presley, you know, where people are like, where there's like a sort of youth frenzy about these figures, you know what I mean? There's television and radio and record sales and all that kind of stuff where the, the, the media at the time, like, you know, you look at people from like, you know, the, the black and white times, you know, it just didn't seem like they had these kind of, um, you know, I guess there'd be movie stars they'd be into, of Mm -hmm. course, but like, yeah, where it turns to shifts to like, you know, the Beatles and Bob Dylan and stuff to Ian MacKay, you know what I mean? Like, I think someone like Bob Dylan and Ian MacKay, you know, have sort of like these philosophical slants that ha- take on like a, 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 there's a politics to it. And even youth crew, there's like a politics to it. And um, so it can reflect and inform, you know, your life at, at, at all different points in time, you know, and, and, uh, and you can carry it with you and you can, uh, you know, I listen to hardcore records, you know, and, uh, not too often will I like, uh, do it, but every once in a while I'll, you know, I'll check in with minor threat. Always good. You know, and I'll, I'll check in with like what, um, you know, Ian McKay's doing lately and always quality, always good. Um, and Bob Dylan, there's lots of records that I don't, no, but I feel like there's always quality and, and over time, there's always the context of like, even if something doesn't speak to me at a certain time, it's still there for me at another time. And even if it never speaks to me, it's like, okay, that was the time that me and Bob Dylan were totally out of sync. That's fine. Yeah. You know, like th- that, that also happens, but yeah, I think people obviously are like very, and now it's like in sort of, sort of hyper way that I don't really, I, I'm just like kind of not, I'm too old to really get like where it's at right now with, with what people are like, how people are obsessing about um, who are the new kind of like gods, demigods and in that kind of way. And, and, you know, what, 
that means for like this sort of phenomenon moving forward, you know, um, you know, you have someone like Kanye who's so influential on culture, but you know, now everyone's just like freaking fuck out on where he, what it's done to him, you know what I mean? Or what he, you know what I mean? Like it's, I don't know enough about him, but it's like, um, you know, his brain seemed fried out, you know, and, and, uh, and, and the culture is, 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 is going crazy too, you know? So it's a very interesting evolution. You know, I kind of, I'm going to just be nostalgic for my Bob Dylan and Ian McKay, but you know. I, well, I think maybe this is the tipping point. Like this is where it's going to have to shift again because, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, um, Bob Marley and Bob Dylan now talking about, you know, politics of liberation and talking mm -hmm. about injustices of the world. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's like celebrities now, I don't think people, you know, look at celebrities in the same way. Like it's mm -hmm. not like you look at a, a musician as filling that sort of like arbor arbiter of a moral compass. Role. But there also is that thing that I think, so for example, even with Bob Dylan, when he went electric and did a tour, he did half the show acoustic and then he brought the band out and then people would, the same people who were adoring him were booing him, yeah. throwing stuff yeah. at him, buying tickets to tell them how upset they were about it. Yeah. And right. that had nothing to do with the content of what he was saying. It was a stylistic change that, and I think, I mean, I've had that experience going from a band that people seem to like, started a new band that was different and then people buy tickets and just go like, this is the front of the stage, you know. <laughs> yeah, hell. Yeah. Oh yeah, no. Like, did you ever get that? Like, with with grill with quicksand, did you get Gorilla Biscuit fans showing up to show animosity in the beginning? No, no, it didn't. It the shift was really pretty pretty easy and and nice to be honest. Like, I think because I wasn't the I was it wasn't I'm not the front man of Gorilla Biscuit, yeah. so like. My my thinking was like if if quicksand wasn't good, no one would have gave a shit. So it would have been fine. So uh, the fact that it was good gave it a little bit of uh, you know surprise effect. So I think some people probably said, "Oh, I don't like it as much as grilled biscuits," but most people were like, "Okay, cool. This is this makes sense somehow." So that was that that worked out good. But um, I do like the phenomenon of um, a person going to a show, buying a ticket going there and just being in the front row and giving a middle finger like who is that guy i know like i know but i think that's very indicative of where we're at culturally now too i mean with twitter uh -huh. and all that kind of it's this is twitter is a way for people to you know have their dissent heard and it's basically published yeah <laughs> it's the same yeah. thing as buying a ticket and being like this you know it, i i also think ian mckay like Maybe not now, now, but like there were people that would straight up go to their shows, Fugazi shows in the beginning to mosh just to get thrown out. Yeah. And uh, they were, they were expressing their rejection of what he was doing with his thing. Like that's probably the closest thing to Bob Dylan in punk is like that uh, Fugazi versus minor threat thing, even though like, you know, it's not acoustic to electric, but I think philosophically it kind of felt like that to a bunch of kids. And like, I remember as like a young kid, you know, like not, not not hating Fugazi, but just like at the same time, like I liked Minor Threat, like that was my religion. Yeah, I guess there was a, that was um like the first when I got that first Fugazi record and I put on Waiting Room, it was just like just come on, like just give it up, like this is just too good. Like how how really 
I, I mean, I, it was so incredibly transcendent. I don't think, I mean, I love Fugazi and there's songs of theirs that I, I, I can't even say I like better, but I, I think are maybe artistically like higher placed in some from my like artistic sense, but like waiting room is like, it should be on every, uh, it's a hit song. It's a fucking yeah. hit song. And I, it's not only a hit song that's like catchy and good, but it's like, in, so interesting and like so unexpected and so fantastic i guess i'm older than you maybe like i was less i was ready first not minor threat um i even liked embrace to be honest like i thought embrace i mean if, I, of course it's not like oh i'm so edgy i like embrace but like <laughs> um i guess i would have preferred something more aggressive because that's what i got into it for but um yeah, I mean, they, they really like transcended, you know, with that. But it's interesting to think that people like moshing would be the way to. to. And I guess it's almost like the, the sort of like waiting room, like the Chili Peppers covered waiting room. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, so that's like, I mean, not to disparage the, the Chili Peppers. There's such a huge band, but they're very like bro-y, like, you know, bro band, like for sure, uh, among other things. Um, and like that infiltration into the Fugazi shows was just like the like Fugazi are the anti bro song yet they put out some bro bait you know what I mean to like <laughs> you know and that that kind of like rub I guess is where this kind of and you know that's famous thing for Fugazi is like stop the show no you know they're gonna like kind of sarcastically make fun of you for moshing and uh give you your know, five bucks back and make you leave yeah here's your five bucks back sir you know what I mean yeah, like yeah. that whole routine and we love them for that you know it's great um but uh my I, friend I guess, M yeah. my friend my friend mvp guest of the show uh got thrown out of fugazi show for moshing him and his brother and he uh -huh. has never forgiven ian mckay and i <laughs> i fear for ian when he runs an mvp <laughs> some 20 yeah, some odd I mean, years later i see that side of it too i mean it's like you pay your money like it's just like a little bit, um, you know, it's like this, you know, like freedom, like I paid my $5 and I'm free to mosh how I want. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's something to that argument, not when I say it in that voice, but like, you know, um, like how come Fugazi are allowed to jump around and go crazy on stage, but we're not. <laughs> we can't. Like, like we have to sit, we have to be like, uh, you know, these sort of like well-behaved uh you know enlightened individuals in the audience where you get to go run around and be crazy and emotional but we have to what we you tell us what to do and how we can have fun like vote that you know? <laughs> freedom freedom i'm getting on stage doing the stage that and then geese geese hugging you or something like that when you're on stage and it's just like what the hell is that man <laughs> you just um, that's when you grab him and you're like okay we're let's do it together spinning yeah. take it more people as a spinning double person stage time oh man it just i mean it's part of why they were awesome and part of like the, how they were charged politically in a mm -hmm. way that what like didn't have to be like you know we were against this thing you know what i mean like um they were charged politically no matter what they did you know what i mean they were just that was what they they had which i think is like I think bands now, I think it's hard to, although everybody seems to be doing politics to some degree, but um, it's more, uh, you know, uh, 
kind of written down and like what causes you support and you know maybe it's a little bit more direct but i think like uh what fugazi were doing it, it was a different time of course but like uh and they would play benefits for this thing or that thing and you obviously understood that their politics were, were pretty left mm -hmm. but uh, i think they were political just in in without any of that just like by not letting people mosh is is po political you know yeah like I was wondering what you thought of that. Like, it's interesting. Al from SSD was on the show, hmm. and he was talking about how he kind of was hurt that his shit was not more embraced by Ian at the time. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. But like, how did you feel as like a young person? Was that just something where you're like, I like his music, but that's just like a different time and a different world? Or did you feel that there should have been, or do you feel like there would have been more of an embracing of your generation by these people? I mean, I surely would have wanted Ian McKay to, to be like, oh, my God, you're straight edge. Like, I love what you're doing. And, you know, um, I'm coming to the show. I'm going to do stage dive. Or, you yeah. know, of course, <laughs> I, I would have wanted that. Uh, but I didn't know who he was. You know, it wasn't like, I, you know, I could like. I mean, at the time it was before it was before Fugazi and stuff like that, that I would have felt that way or before him. I guess it probably would have been around when Embrace came out that I would have hoped for that to happen. Yeah. Um. And and a funny story. I I um I uh so I did hear that Ian of all the Revelation stuff that was coming out, you know, was a lot of it coming out, and it was just it was getting a lot of hype at, at that time. And uh, a friend of mine worked at the record store where Ian was working, which is kind of weird. Like Ian used to just work at the record store at that time, in the eighties, and um. He's like, oh, the the I like this Gorilla Biscuit EP. This is the one oh. that I like. Like, I, I don't remember exactly what he said, but basically that's, that's how it came back to me was that Ian had given the 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 GB EP like, oh, this is a good one. You know and, what? Um, oh, sorry, go on. And so I asked him to, uh, it, well, I didn't, I, I got put up to it by the revelation, by Jordan at Revelation. And and uh, you should ask Ian Mackay to, to produce the, the Gorilla Biscuit album because he's, a, you know, some sort of fan, you know what I mean? Or he, he, he it's not like he was like, you know, running around town telling everybody about Gorilla Biscuits, but he had <laughs> yeah. said something positive that got back to me. So I called him up and, and I was very nervous and it was the first time I'd ever spoken to him. And I and, uh, had a very nice, awesome, very like pretty considerably long conversation uh, about why he won't produce the Grill Biscuit album. <laughs> like all kinds of really good reasons that were very principled and, um, you know, uh, with precedence and all this kind of stuff to like, you know, really make the case of why he does not want to do it. And, um, and I found it really nice of him to have taken all the time, you know, and and that it was a, a very sincere, uh, you know, wishing you all the best. No, like in offense in any way. And I love what you're doing, but that's not what I want to do. And it was really, really kind of cool, but also funny and humiliating and all of that, too. Um, I mean, not so not humiliating. That's exaggerating it. But, you know. Uh, you know, I got off the phone as like, okay, thanks a lot, guys. Of course, he doesn't want to fucking produce the record. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's like literally one of those phone calls where you're just like, gulp. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like he, you're hoping he picks up and sort of hoping he doesn't pick up. You know? Yeah. Um, and I and it's funny. I had another conversation with him, and I I've just had 
Quicksand played with with Fugazi uh, a few times, and uh, he's he's just awesome. I'm the I'm biggest fan, you know. And when you're talking about people that like have affected your way of thinking about music and stuff like that, he he's he's major like that, uh, you know, for me. And well, you know, he he just is that for I think if you know anything about like indie music or um, you know, also I think just general like life philosophy i think he has a lot of things out there that are that are you know you can pick up on in terms of like um you know not waiting for permission for people from people to like create your art how how you can uh, maintain control over it and the integrity of it i think he's just not even so much in what he says although he says plenty it's in it through his actions you know it's, it's amazing but I had another similar conversation with him, like probably like 15 years later, I was, I was doing some, uh, I was, I was living in Berlin at the time. And, uh, there was this, this magazine that wanted me to do an interview with him. And like, can you get Ian Mackay to do this interview for this magazine? And I was like, Jesus Christ, maybe, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. And this time I called him from, uh, from Germany, you know, and, uh, and, and, um, yeah, we had a great, great, great conversation. It was like probably like we, you know, caught up on some stuff and it was like probably like 40 minutes to an hour conversation about why he's not going to do the interview. <laughs> <laughs> and he had, again, had great reasons. It was totally cool. And he was not like stingy with his time in any way. It's just like he's working by this system yeah. that is like throughout everything. You know what I mean? And um, he can come off harsh, I think. You know, it's my opinion. Like I said, I don't know him really well. I surely don't. Um, but uh, but in, I think it, it's part, he's also very kind. I mean, that that's, ver- you know, I'm having a laugh at it because it is funny. But like, you know, he could just not have answered the phone. You know what I mean? Yeah, or, yeah. or And that would have also worked. I would have gotten the message that way, too. But it was more fun to talk to him about it. Yeah. And now that you say this about the Gorilla Biscuits EP, Waiting Room kind of has a Gorilla Biscuits EP kind of vibe in the looseness to it. For sure. I always thought that Fugazi were very influenced by GB. I always thought. You <laughs> I'm going to say that too. I'm going to say a it. Lot, not gonna say a that. lot of people say it. You know, I'm saying it for the first time. But, you know, uh, many have said that. So, yeah, it's very true, probably. It was, it was Gorilla Biscuits, Empire and uh-huh. uh and uh the ruts and those were yes the, the, the and it came together and you know and they they do their own thing too so that's uh you know it's really great um i think that it had uh for me like that that first fugazi thing just like it it's just so it was just so goddamn good i mean like it definitely made me think like uh, oh i gotta uh, doing this sort of um and, and i think like gorilla biscuits at that time we had made our our album and all this youth crew kind of stuff was like very well uh, defined, I think at that point. And like, really like all the, the look was there. The, the music was really good. There was a lot of good bands, um, you know, do, doing great stuff. But I think when the, that Fugazi thing came out, I was like, Oh man, we, I, I, I got to loosen the fuck up. This is, you know, this sort of like straight kind of, uh, uh, you know, cause I think what's really beautiful about the, the, the youth crew stuff and a lot of the revelation stuff, although there was a, there was a, a, obviously some sort of like 
there was a, an artistic creative progression, you know, to it um, was the, the sort of stark cleanness of it. You know what I mean? Like uh, hold your ground, you know, break down the walls, you know, the sort of sloganeering that was very tight and the, the imaging was tight and all this kind of stuff. Tight. Whereas Fugazi was way more um, fluid. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, that I was like, that's, that's a, a good way to go. Like, just let go. And, and then I think it eventually turned into others, you know, that, that definitely affected me um, moving forward with music to where like I started doing a band called Moondog, which was just like, you know, more dissonant sounds. Um, and then Quicksand, which was, you know, whatever, another, another kind of step out. And I think, you know, we were talking before about quicksand, uh, you know, coming from GB to quicksand. I think that that was uh, just a lot of, a way that a lot of people felt, you know what I mean? Um, that were my peers. Yeah. That's why I love following your career because it's almost like an auteur musician where there's like, you can hear, you can hear you in everything you do, but mm-hmm. nothing's redundant and nothing's trying to be the thing before it. But there's like, mm-hmm. You know, it's like looking at like a director where you can always see the director like Kubrick's always making these movies, mm-hmm. but they're they're different movies every time. Mm-hmm. But I love that where there's like a linear kind of story throughout what you've done musically. Like you've never done a like that I can think of. I don't think there's a Walter Bumout record, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, Bum, I, probably I, bummed out some people. But I mean, like a record where you deliberately were like, all right, here's the new metal record everyone's been waiting for. No, I mean, I think I'm, I've. I think I, um, I don't, uh, and maybe because I came up in hardcore, it just doesn't seem to be like too many of the great hardcore bands when I came up were like, would make it past an EP and an album. It usually just didn't happen. You know, there'd be like a couple of, like an EP, an album, maybe a second album, the second album, they tried to go pop or metal and it sucked and everyone hated them then. So it's like, you just didn't want to make that album. You know, you didn't want to make that new metal album where everyone then hates you or you get really famous and then you don't have to deal with these these little petty bullshit arguments about you know who's in the scene and who's not you know because you're just in another stratosphere that that doesn't really didn't really pan out for anyone uh that i know of uh you know maybe zach from rage against machine would be the only close example of that um prior before like duff mckagan and uh izzy stradlin and stuff like that you're right like from from that era of bands it's hard to think of like even a band that kind of got Husker Du I guess Quicksand yeah. Quicksand's the, the band yeah I mean I guess Husker Du somehow managed to, to to pull that off to some although they didn't Husker Du were not that famous I mean when I was yeah. talking about the show that I saw them that was probably New Day Rising or Candy Apple Grey uh they were pretty big but they're playing Irving Plaza mm-hmm. they weren't as big as Turnstile yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> Has there ever been, right? Like Hatebreed, I guess, prior to that, but like, has there ever been a band that big from hardcore? Yeah, that, we were just d- discussing this yeah. the other day. That's directly, uh, yeah, that's directly I, related I, to hardcore. I mean, like, not something that's, you know, two steps away, like Guns N' Roses or something. Uh, I think Turnstile might be kind of, um, yeah, I guess so. But I guess I think Turnstile to me, like, especially on this record, is like the hardcore aspect to them is I, 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 this is maybe a harsh way to saying it but it's like almost the least interesting part about it to me mm-hmm. like i i love what they're they're doing uh by holding on to that sort of more the ethos than anything else 
they're able to like do all this other really cool shit that's like more uniquely expressive and less uh beholden to a genre in any any way you know um i think that, that they're coming from that world gives them a certain edge that um over a band that would just be trying to make a cool band that's exciting you know what i mean it's like they're cut they played all these basement shows in a scene for fucking 10 years so they have all of that mileage all that experience all those like um friendships uh slash uh connections to like different scenes and all that kind of stuff and that gives them a lot of like integrity and fortitude to like push something out that is like you know, it's a it, it's a big the, the turnstile record's a big difference from uh, out of step. You know, if out of step came out now, you know what I mean? It's like it sounds it, it has a lot more reference points. You know, those guys are listening to all kinds of different popular music and all kinds of stuff. But I guess like um, for sure, they're the the biggest band that I can think of. I mean, like you would see like um, maybe in California, you know, some of these like the circle jerks had a hit on K rock or something like that. And they'd be big or black flag were big. Um, I think it's like a cool period, especially in California where you have like TV party institutionalized, um, uh, you know, shit hits the fan. Uh, uh, what's like TSO, like uh, Richard hung himself. Um, uh, TSOL, like dance with me, like with me, yeah. they're, they're just making hit songs. Like they're just like almost like pop bands in, in, in a lot of ways, you know, they're just good songs um, or adolescence, uh, you know, like these are just good fucking songs. Um, I think Turnstile or a new kind of phenomenon. I, I wonder, I think it's like helping like hardcore music in a way. Cause like, it's just a, sort of a word that people are getting into. And I think it, it, it's, you know, as I'm talking about it, I think it's really good because I think hardcore is so much more of an ethos now than a musical style. Like I had a very conservative view, I think of hardcore, like it's basically somewhere between, you know, minor threat, negative approach, agnostic front. And if you have to do some melodic shit, then don't go any further than the descendants, you know, like, <laughs> hold hold it in that realm if you can which is a pretty limited view you know of of what it actually is um you know much in a way that maybe you know you hear like the rolling stones or like those 60s bands talking about r&b like you know why did eric uh clapton who i i think is a dork uh leave the yardbirds besides being a dork he was like, cause they weren't bluesy enough for him anymore you know hardcore kind of has a little bit of that strictness mm. um I think it doesn't anymore. I, and I think in a good way, uh, you know, I think it, it, it's, uh, it's more about the ethos, like about the, those sort of connections to the different people about the, um, the motive in which you're doing it, you know, which is sort of like, makes a lot of sense. Like it's not career wrist really. I just don't even think now if you're a popular hardcore brand, obviously turnstile are doing really well, but you're not going to get rich doing this. No way. Not happening. You know what I mean? So your, your motivations are more about the music, about your friendships, about uh, treating people well, coming back, seeing those guys again um, and stuff like that, which I, I think is is just good for society, you know, for people to have those kind of community threads and connections and, and an opportunity to meet people from other places and to talk to them and all that kind of stuff. I think it's just uh, through music is just 
superior to the model of, you know, that I grew up with was like, you know, let's be rock stars and hang out with, uh, you know, uh, Chris and Jonathan in Las Vegas. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> like, it's not that anymore. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling on it, but. Um, well, did you consider like Quicksand a hardcore band when you were starting? Like, was you like, because like, that's the thing that's like, as you know, in the 90s, especially in New York, it starts really early on not sounding like Negative Approach, Agnostic Front. Even mm. Agnostic Front wasn't sounding like Agnostic Front no. at that point. No, I, I think AF hardcore. Going, I think AF were going towards like the, which made sense is like they were the biggest band. Like once you sell out CBGBs, there's really, there's no bigger room that you can like sell out really. Yeah. So, uh, so they naturally would look to the metal scene to get bigger. And then, then you're dip, dipping into a bigger kind of ocean you know then you're competing with actual metal bands who actually like metal and i think that's tricky to 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 sort of balance that i think af did did a, a good job of it where they do have metal fans and um and still maintain their their hardcore audience it's it's but it didn't make them metallica it didn't even make them you know it, did, it didn't turn them into to megadeth or slayer or something like that um i think it's a that's a tough balance um but with, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the point of, um, quicksand being a hardcore band, like, did you, oh, quicksand, you yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think I thought of it. We were just like kind of hardcore was in New York for me was just really shitty at that point. Like it was just a lot of violence and I had no real uh, connection to, it, and I wasn't listening to that kind of music anymore. Really. I was interested in, uh, uh, I mean, really towards the end of it, I was like, the beginning of it, sorry, was like, I was interested, obviously in Fugazi, as I mentioned, but I thought Slayer were awesome. I thought uh, Soundgarden were really awesome. Nirvana, like stuff that was coming from, from the, on Sub Pop early because it had that sort of scene vibe. Like you knew these people were playing. I knew those people, like I found out about Nirvana from someone who roadied for them that was on the Grill Biscuit tour. Like we were in the same circle, but they were doing something more interesting and less formulaic and less related to violence, to be honest, like, cause it just, it just had gotten really um, not interesting to me and not uh, fun. You know, it just became this like, uh, yeah, just like, place where people would um just be trying to test out their you know sort of toughness or something like that and it wasn't about music anymore to me it just didn't it didn't seem in new york anyway and um so but in seattle or sub pop stuff like that and like um and then also like loved the uh when the in uh england when all the shoegaze stuff came out i was like really into that um like we did our first tour over in england and we got all into like all that creation stuff was happening at that time and just like gobbled it all up. So that was kind of like, our thing was like, we didn't really know what the fuck we were doing, but we just were looking at other kinds of music. But I think like Turnstile benefited from having played all these hardcore shows, which were fucking amazing. I mean, there was, I mean, when I got into hardcore, before I was into hardcore, I was into like, you know, new wave. Like I saw the REM, I saw U2, I, those bands were amazing to me. But as soon as I went to CBGBs, like that shit's, boring like yeah this is this is what's going on but once again both those bands come out of punk too right like yeah, it's, absolutely and, and and you know we talked about this before but mbv obviously as well as well comes out of punk like it feels like everything interesting is somehow uh coming out of this after a certain point and 
you know, it's all just different styles. Like you're saying, you and Nirvana kind of had friends in common. Yeah. Know? I'm fascinated yeah. by, like, have you ever talked to any of the old, like, uh, Brotherhood or, or, like, anyone from, like, the hardcore scene about Nirvana from Seattle? I guess not too much, but I, I do know that that was just, you know, you're all playing the same clubs. You know I what think, I mean? I found, like, a lot of those dudes really hated Nirvana and thought they were just, like, a, like a butt rock alternative band because, like, it's different when you're, I guess, around it. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, there's bands in New York that were like playing CBs on like, you know, sort of like, the, you know, maybe some of the Sonic Youth kind of like uh, more than that. Sonic Youth were a little bit older, but like, um, yeah, like Pussy Galore, like these kind of like no wave kind of like, uh, and, you know, kind of later bit bits of that scene. You know what I mean? Like those bands to me, because they were all older, just seemed like, um a little stuck up, you know, like, fuck those guys. You know what I mean? Like, um, this is the real shit, you know what I mean? And they just don't get it. And they're in, you know, at NYU or some bullshit. And we would kind of look askew at them. And I don't think we were on their radar at all, but maybe also I'd be jealous because those bands would get write-ups in the village voice and like hard, hardcore would never get a write-up in that village voice ever. Yeah. They have the enemy cred too. You can get and the enemy cred, like hardcore would never get any of that shit. So, uh, so maybe there's a bit of bitterness there. So like I, if brotherhood had any, that brotherhood's like doing all this cool shit, having yeah. great shows, but they don't get any respect, but Nirvana gets like an enemy and all that kind of stuff. So I guess maybe they're, you know, the, that's a natural, uh, resentment baked into that. It's so funny too, because like, you know, sometimes you think about this stuff and maybe this is looking at it from a geographical distance and a temporal mm -hmm. distance, but these worlds seem so far apart. Mm. And you forget the fact that, you know, it's all happening on top of each other. New York is yeah. especially like it is literally all happening on top of each other. Oh, my God. It's amazing. I mean, I didn't know anything different, but I I understood that it was, you know, there was a probably a good period of time where New York just was absolutely the shit. There was like no like hardcore, like any like touring around with youth today, especially like there was just no question in my mind that all the bands from New York were better than the, all the bands from the rest of the country. Like we just owned it in my opinion. And, um, and we had hip hop. We owned hip New York was like hip hop. Like we owned, there was no hip hop bands outside of New York that were any good as far as I was concerned. Like they just couldn't do it. Like we just owned these two kinds of music. And, you know, like I said, we still had the kind of like no wave, like kind of like, um, stuff which was like you know i was too young really to like appreciate it you know it was just a little too crappy sounding to me i didn't get the artness of it um but i understood that all the shit was happening in new york and we just like um had a bit of uh i don't know if i if sort of like a pride about it maybe in a way and just appreciation of it because like yeah it was all intersecting like you know, all the hip hop labels were all indie labels, just like the hardcore labels. And, um, you know, you'd go out to clubs and like Eric B would be there or the, Rakim would be at the club or like Chuck D would be at the club that you're hanging out at, too. And all this stuff's like at the same time that, yeah, John Spencer's there and like all this, that kind of world is all in, in some spaces, like completely intermeshed. Did uh, were you there or were you in Berlin when that sort of meet me in the bathroom cool new york thing happened new york renaissance i guess happened i was in new york i was on tour a lot at that time um but yeah there was that was a really fun kind of couple of years of like uh 
just great bands, super nights out. I mean, Panthers, I associate with that time too, for sure. Um, you know, just, uh, you know, post nine 11, New York just had this sort of, you know, with, with, especially with the strokes, just like blowing it out so hard, like taking this sort of gritty sound, like rock and roll, New York rock and roll sound, and then blowing it out in such a way that everybody could relate to it or understand it. And then all these other like, yeah, meet me in the bathroom kind of stuff. That was exciting. It was really fun. One show I remember playing that was really awesome was uh, Rival Schools played a a 9-11 benefit um, that was put together by the Beastie Boys. And it was uh, Beastie Boys, uh, Strokes, (laughs) B-52s, Rival Schools, and... uh, God damn it. What's the name of the band? Japanese band. Um, Sean Lennon was associated with them for a while. Chibamato? Chibamato. Oh, yeah. Chibamato, Rava Schools, B-52s, which is fucking amazing. And uh, Beastie Boys and Strokes. And it was like right in that time. And it was just like, I don't know. Just felt like there's something going on. You know, it was really exciting. Why did Rival Schools want to tour the UK first? Is it because that's where the music industry is kind of at that time? Or is it because that obsession you have with kind of like the Creation Records UK stuff? Uh, I think it was just an exciting way to start a band. Because if you do, um, and I did the same thing with Quicksand, really, I think. Uh, Hey, guys, let's start a band and go tour England. You know what I mean? Like that just sounds like a good way to, to, to do it, you know? So I think we, we just were kind of, and also that we could kind of like do it in an environment where less people would give a shit in some way, you know what I mean? Uh, and you saw us on that tour, yep. which is kind of amazing. So we, by the time, you know, we, uh, I'm just walking around, I got to find a power for this thing, but, um, that was your second show ever, right? That Brighton show you played Hawaii. First oh, no, or something? I feel that was later in the tour, to be honest. Um, I thought it was the th- I thought it was the, like the first show. Fuck, we were wild then. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to Brighton for your. <laughs> I don't know if we ever got that wild again. Uh, it was a great that. show. It was unbelievable, and it was like this place that you know fucked up would play years later, and there's like you know no, it's like a step stage, no uh-huh. stage type situation, and there's like no way to get to the stage but walking through the crowd and yeah that was a fantastic show someone weirdly i was telling jason about this beforehand made like a fake youth of the day gorilla biscuits flyer for that show that that was the flyer was like a sort of fake youth crew flyer some guy made one like separate like a bootleg flyer for that show that said youth of the day gorilla biscuits and then the club (laughs) the date that was happening oh wow okay decoy marketing Yeah, That's I met great. some hardcore. I met some hardcore kids there that I I'm pretty sure were behind it. But it was, uh, yeah, it's funny. Well, it's like it's, it's like you know we're talking about with Ian McKay, and obviously you're saying you don't really you never got it directly, but there are definitely people that are relig- religiously adherent to a certain era yeah. of your songwriting, and that's great. That's awesome. I mean, there's certain things where. Um... Yeah, I just like a certain period of someone's work, and I'm just like about it, and. Um... You know, but then also sometimes people just don't have like a big body of work. You know, a lot of these like hardcore records are just like so perfect because they never really followed through on it. It's just like we did it. It's done, you know, and that that's it, you know, and I I think that that's 
a bit of like what I like about that genre is that, you know, kind of like I said, you make an EP, you know, you make a demo tape maybe, and then you get to make an EP and everyone goes crazy for it. And then you make an album and then it's just done. You know what I mean? Like you, you look at, um, you know, negative approach or minor threat. Um, you know, AF is an example of a band that kept going. Um, but you know, and, and there's people that appreciate parts of their work that I just really have no connection to it at, at all, but forever victim in pain is just an amazing record to me. And, uh, um, and I think like John, John Brannon with negative approach, like laughing hyenas, like I was into laughing hyenas. I went to see them at CB's. Um, I was a fan, uh, easy action, not as much, but I think his work always is going to have a quality to it. And otherwise he wouldn't do it. I think it's just, would be crazy to put out bullshit, you know, for this long. I think John's a great example though, because, because he always does different bands. Uh-huh. I think it pushed him to change his vocal and to expand his vocal mm-hmm. range. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas if you stayed in one band, even though you will change, you know, Roger definitely changed his vocals, but I think mm-hmm. you you have like a core that you got to kind of stay committed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Whereas like, you know, well, Pan, Pan, Orchid and Panthers, like completely different kind of vocal approaches and like, you know, and then what you do later on, like it just, like violent bullshit versus that. But like, I wonder if that's the same thing uh, with the way you approach writing songs. Like, did you feel every time you do a project, you kind of have the freedom to start from, from scratch, you know, and you can change your approach to the music. Yeah. In a way. I, I think I've done like through my, my stuff, I've done a lot of different kinds of things. And, um, you know, I, w- I would like to just be more bold, you know what I mean? I always try to want to push myself out there. And I, I, like so I heard something David Bowie said, it's like, when you find yourself out on the limb of like, shit, I don't know if this is, this might be really bad. I don't know. But it's like, you, you, you know, your, your kind of muse is taking you to that edge. Uh, that's when something really great could happen. It's like when you're putting yourself out there to that furthest extent to like, oh my God, is this, just too weird or you know what I mean like what if people don't like me in this outfit you know what I mean like um you could go out in that outfit look really bad and you could be right this is totally wrong but that's you that's the zone where something really special happens so I kind of want to push myself out to that as much as I can you know and sometimes it's uh I feel like it's, I'm always giving my best. So I think there's always like a quality to it, but as far as like, um, I haven't really worked so hard on creating like character voices, you know, but I think that's really a cool thing when people do that. Like, um, you know, Bob Dylan's done that obviously David Bowie's done it. Um, or even like, I really love, do you, do you guys know uh, white fence? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, white fence, like Tim yeah. Presley does these really cool sort of character voices that I think are so awesome. Um, but you have a character voice. Like I, I know as soon as you start singing that it's you. Yeah, but I mean, in other words, like I think I have my voice is different on different records in different ways. But I think it's more yeah. reflective of the time that I'm at, whatever I'm into at that time, and like. Um, and like how it fits the music. I'm talking to making a character voice. Like I'm going to sing in an English accent and I'm just rolling with that. <laughs> that would be a, that, but that's fucking insane when someone does that. Like I'm going to sing I know, in a but Sometimes accent. it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I also think that's the beauty of coming from hardcore too, is that you instantly have a attitude that's not careerist, right? Yeah. You know, you're yeah. not going to make money in a hardcore band. 
Yeah. So when you're making new music, you're instantly not thinking of, are people going to like, you're not thinking of the audience. You're just thinking of whatever's tickling you at the moment. And I think I that's think, a great way to yeah. approach art. I think that's nice. I think, I think people are though thinking about it. You know what I mean? I, I, I think like I'm, I'm conscious of like, and maybe I should be less so, but like, I think if anyone likes Gorilla Biscuits, like if they really give it a chance, they can like, well, like, I mean, it was very nice of you to say this, but like, you know, where you brought up uh, Mar Scorsese or something like that. Like, yeah, some of his Kubrick. work is- I said you were the Kubrick, Kubrick. of our Okay, Kubrick. Okay, better, better. Yeah. Uh, Kubrick. <laughs> some movies are going to be, be speak to you more or less, but there's a thread bet between yes. that. So he's carrying you from the first movie you saw from Kubrick to his last film, he's carrying you throughout the entire body of work. Um, so I try to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes to think, what if, why don't I just do an album where it's, it's new metal and I sing in an English accent and see what that, what comes out and just give that my best effort. And, and maybe that's the, 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 I think there's artists that do that kind of stuff and it's amazing. You know what I mean? The, the artists that are willing to fully, uh, I mean, that's not really my, like doing the English accent, new metal thing isn't really what I feel like doing, yeah. but just like, that, like as an example of something that could be like, oh my God, did you hear, you know, the new quicksand record? It's like really new metal and Walter sings in an English accent. It's really weird, but I think it's good. You know, that, yeah. could, that could win new fans. You know what I mean? Um, or just totally like, oh my God, he's on some shit, dude. I don't know what happened to him. Is, it just, is anyone checking in on him? You know, uh, yeah, yeah. it could be like that too. Because we all do have, that's the one thing about hardcore that we do have like, uh, I don't know, I can picture myself as a hardcore kid thinking this was super corny. Like you're yeah. kind of beholden oh, yeah. to this inner child that, you know, is so moralistic that you yeah. carry with you no matter what you're doing later in Absolutely. life. You know, it's just. Let's be real. It's it's pretty conservative in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, oh, uh, yeah. So like if, if you, um, yeah, like I'm sure if you made like a record where you're just like, Okay, just take the English accent out of it, but like just not screaming, you know, what yep. I mean? just like singing melodic lines. I can't do it. People, yeah, but if you if you did it, you're saying you can't do it. No, I, I, I say I've I physically tried to sing in uh -huh. different voices, and I can't, I can't do it. Like I, I like I'll start laughing and just be like I just, you know, and I don't know if that's like a, a, a like a self defense thing or an anxiety thing, but like I do feel at the same time like it just doesn't feel like who I am. Yeah, you're not being, it's not authentic to you. I think yeah. like the only way the English accent thing works is if it's authentic to you and you're yeah. doing like, yeah. you're a hundred percent developing it. that character. Like, you know, like think about um, like uh, Mick Jagger is really good at this. Like he does these American accents where it's like, like uh, what is it called? Uh, we all need something we can lean on. Like he's just doing like a fake, he's doing a fake Southern accent and it's a fucking dope song. And it's, flowers, just, yeah. it's just weird. You know what I mean? But he does it and it works and you don't question it. You just get into it. And um, because his whole accents are put on to begin with, right? Like that's what they always say. Right. So he's been, he's been in character the whole time. So I think it's much easier to go to a different character. Whereas if he came from hardcore, and showed up doing like some weird accent people would be like nah dude shut it down so he doesn't have that hardcore baggage that we carry around in the same way 
Yeah, he's a lot more free, you know what I mean? Which is another reason why we would, you know, uh, hardcore kids would like not like on things that are like sort of a little bit more open because like Mm. the cool thing about hardcore too is like there is a character already existing, right? Like there's like almost like a, a, you know, a D&D piece that you can choose in the game. And, uh, you know, the character exists for you to, to be it, you know, which is like screaming righteousness, pointing out hypocrisy. Yes. And you can go far on that. Just like ah, 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 ah. hypocrisy, righteousness. Uh, and, and the character's written for you. You just have to envelop, you just have to like live in that body. You know what I mean? And, and if you can do it authentically, you, you go far, you know, um, in that realm but like as soon as you um and and not everyone's and and that's the beauty of it because like it's it's not like um you don't have to go to juilliard for it you know what i mean like you don't even have to be really good at music like that's the 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 when i was talking about the effect of like turnstile being big and and how that might trickle down to hardcore it's like i find like in our really like um I hate to say it, but like mostly shitty society and like shitty way things are. Um, I think people are so isolated that like something like hardcore community is really good. So if I can just like, and you see this happening now, especially and and you know with so many uh, more females, like women being involved in hardcore, it's like that they can participate, that they can like, it's not just this realm of, of, of boys, like people have this like catharsis that they need to get out. And the more that people are like mingling with each other and getting to um, experience that together and work together and blah, 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 blah. I think it's positive for society. So like, you know, once you get into the realm of like, okay, well, I'm an artist and I'm a musician and now I'm trying to do um, different things, which is like, um, how I have to see myself in a way, because I've been doing this so long. Like I, I, it's not out of pretense. I have to think like, if I'm doing all this shit, like it has to be, there has to be growth. There has to be development um, for me. You know what I mean? Or, 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 or just, I can't do it authentically mm-hmm. um, because I'm just sort of like retreading stuff, but not as good. Um, and uh, so I, I think like, we're all playing these different characters, you know what I mean? And it's like, what kind of, um, you know, in hardcore, I think it, it gives you this opportunity to kind of play this one character and then develop it, you know, cause you know, not, not all singers are, are equal just cause you're all screaming. Doesn't mean you're, you're doing a good job, but people are better at it than others. Um, John Brandon. That, uh, huh? John yeah, Brandon. He's iconic, dude. I mean, he, he basically created, that whole, I mean, basically that's what it is. You got like John Brennan, for me, it's John Brennan and, and Ian McKay. Like Ian McKay is the sort of like, you know, it's sort of Beatles and Stones, you know, McKay has like this musicality and this sort of like uh, intellectual uh, component to, to um, what he's doing. And this sort of like, you know, obviously we talked about the political aspect where John is like way more primal, more, uh, you know, I mean, that's kind of a, yeah, I mean, whatever. That's not a bad description. It's just more like pure id and rage in a lot of ways, but also just like righteousness. And um, I guess they both share a certain amount of righteousness, but those are the two kind of like poles almost. And then California, obviously you have like this kind of like those 
kind of more poppy things that that I was kind of talking about before, but I don't really consider that hardcore exactly. I, th- I think of it as like punk. That's so weird too. I find that like Scott Vogel and I always fight about this or argue about this, that he's like, oh, that stuff's punk. Circle Jerks yeah. are punk, Black Flag's punk. Hardcore is like GB and all the way to like Madball and like E-Town mm-hmm. Concrete even and stuff. Like that team is hardcore and then the other stuff's yeah. punk. To me, it's all punk. But that stuff's definitely hardcore. They were calling themselves hardcore. DOA's hardcore. Yeah, DOA supposedly made up the name, I think. Hardcore yeah. 81. Yeah. Um, who I saw DOA a bunch of times. They used to come through New York. It was amazing. I was, I was a fan. And I hear it that uh, Joe Shithead's like a, a some sort of like... City uh, counselor. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, yeah he, won. he won his second... Uh, I believe it's his second term now. But he is a... Yeah, like, you know, like a guy who... If there was to be a Canadian Ian Mackay in a way mm-hmm. where like someone that you can kind of just like look at and be like, well, that uh-huh. guy always seemed cool and never seemed yeah. to like fuck people over. And, you know, he's, he's kind of our Ian Mackay in a way. He has that energy. Like yeah. he, he, he sure does. Um, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> it's very like typical Dick scene thing to like say who's hardcore, who's not. But um, <laughs> but I'm I'm not above it. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> None of us are. And then that's the thing is there's always someone g- looking at you, like not you specifically, but I mean like all of us saying that's not punk, that's not hardcore. Like everybody's going to be somebody's poser. Like that's yeah, just the yeah. reality of this thing. And that's what makes it so great is that we all have our own little definition, our own little connection to it. And yeah. and it, we all have our own impossible standards that only we live up to. Yeah. And I think those, those kind of like, um, sort of asshole judgments help you to, uh, especially as an artist to understand like what your, your red lines are, yeah. you know what I mean? Cause yes. it's about taste. You know what I mean? It's all about taste. It's like, no dude, that's not right. This is right. That's poser. This is legit. You know what I mean? And like being an asshole is kind of part of, of, uh, you know, understanding where those, those lines are, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the fact that we're all fallible and that we're all, like, human. I think that's the thing that, like, you know, like, the the great thing that hardcore and, and punk is is, like, sort of this ultimate demystifier. Like, we mm-hmm. all, we everything's just completely laid bare and we see everything and everyone warts and all, like, right in front of us and we stand in judgment of them as we stand to be judged ourselves. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this, uh, the way you just said that, I was thinking about this um, clip, I just saw this uh, YouTube clip of uh, Sex Pistols first uh, television performance, because, you know, this idea of like punk is so like now it's just so crazy, um, you know, what it means and, you know, as a marketing thing and like, you know, how it makes people feel, you know, like there's a lot of people walking around who are feeling like they're punk and I'm feeling like, no, you're not at all. You know what I mean? And, 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 you know, they could be looking at me and I'm look like some sort of dork and they're just like, he's not punk. uh, Meanwhile, I'm thinking I'm really punk, you know what I mean? (laughs) You know, and the Sex Pistols being on this TV show, right when I think Anarchy in the UK came out and they were just like, uh, you know, Steve Matt, uh, Steve Matlock. Yeah. The Steve, Matlock no, Steve Jones and Glenn Matlock, Glenn Matlock. Right. Sorry. Um, is on base and the, uh, I forget the woman, she just recently died, but she has this like beehive kind of blonde hair. Sue Catwoman. 
she wasn't the one with the hair like that, but she had a beehive and like a Hitler, like a Nazi sort of. Uh, yes, I know. I know what you're talking about. She's in the. No, she's in, yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I can't remember her name. I'll fix that in the intro. She's in all those cool Sex Pistols things. She's a Bromley contingent regular. Yes, she she's she's legit, and uh, she it's just her on the side of the stage, like kind of almost like doing the twist or something <laughs> like that, and they're on stage doing this um song, which like you know I listen to the Sex Pistols and. And it's so like such a goddamn good like rock music album, right? Like yeah. it's like, you know, all these kind of like like these kind of like ACDC almost uh, parts in, in places. It's, it's just really good rock. But seeing them on this show, they just sounded so raw and so shitty. It was really just really awesome. The, the sort of like moment when they were just a band, you know, yeah. versus like punk's coming you're gonna get spit on uh look out <laughs> i've got a, a thing a pin in my cheek yes the pin, che- the pin in the cheek thing always comes up toby vale just brought it up it had that was the thing that scared her most about punk was the pin through the cheek yeah it's terrifying it's fucking yeah, disgusting it's terrifying it's yeah. terrible it's like turning your face into a hand grenade like that could just get <laughs> don't no it's horrible um so but, uh but yeah you know, all, oh, go on sorry i was just saying the meaning of of all this like punk stuff you know it's just it's sort of like uh it's just interesting like the idea of when it just sort of like crystallized when it was like a band and it's like that first like few months before something becomes like a sensation you know what i mean like uh like when nevermind came out for like a few months they were just a band or like uh doing good with a new good album or or like you know uh you know these sort of sensations how they how they take off like that yeah it's also great to think about that sex pistols at that point you know you'd have people like the ramones or i'm sure if television saw it or even probably the heartbreakers Mm -hmm. would be like these fucking posers this fucking sucks (laughs) oh dude and they were they were posers (laughs) i mean i guess they just they just had it like england's just a more fun place for music it just is america's too big and uh you know just too it's just too big and people are just too different and you get england it's this tight little island everyone can just go crazy about the same thing and all of a sudden everyone's into ska i love it i think also (laughs) you have like a um like a a music industry especially at that time that's weekly and it's constantly looking for something to get people to buy the magazine right yeah and very um very uh you know flat it's about flash and excitement and about hype and and uh you know which is obviously we get hyped on so much shit now but like when i was a kid england just it was so much more fun like the smiths are the biggest band in the country like yeah america the smiths could never be the biggest band in the country they could it just could never even like it would be it would be so it just couldn't happen it just couldn't happen so uh something like the sex pistols it just seems like sensational and amazing and like um and and it was but i mean you know ever since that moment you know the ramones were probably like not um yeah obviously like you know the history is the history like the ramones to me are like the ultimate like expression of punk but to them they were like i don't know where they were doing some sort of like stooges kind of thing to them or, or you well know. They, they were doing a glam thing and this according to the legend i've always heard is the dogs from detroit came through and uh-huh. they were playing in leather jackets and jeans 
Okay. And that's where Johnny was like, oh yeah, we'll just play in what we wear. And uh, apparently that's where they got it from. But it's yeah, so cool like, that that's what they wore. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like yeah. they actually just dressed like that. It's kind yeah. of amazing. Well, I love to think about the dogs came to New York and that's how they're dressed. And they came from Detroit like, where they uh -huh. had been kind of part of this Detroit rock thing towards the end of it. And they're playing the first show they play, I think is opening for kiss at the show kiss gets signed at, and uh -huh. they're playing with the dictators and, and playing for the Ramones. And, and they're like, yeah, to me, they're like the, one of the original punk bands because they were up there. MC5 weren't up there just in their clothes that they'd be wearing around the streets. They dressed up for stage. Stooges yeah. definitely dressed up for stage. Yeah, yeah. Um, the dogs. Yeah, I never really dug into them too much. I got to, I got to, uh, I got to get on They got some stuff. They got some, yeah. they were managed by John Sinclair at the, at the same time oh, he was wow. kind of managing MC5 too. Okay, that's dope. Yeah, so they're, uh, but they, they, you know, like once again, there's just so much great stuff that's like unhidden music history. Like all these bands that are completely obscure, like, mm -hmm. you know, for how legendary Gigi Allen is, like to me, you saw the one that I'm more obsessed with in that realm, Boom in the Legion of Doom. Oh yeah, those mofos, those guys, <laughs> they still use today's equipment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Here, here, I'm the, I'm the guy that would have been there. Here, here's, here's called Payback's a Bitch, guys. Like I would be their biggest advocate. Oh yeah, boom, Legion of Doom. They're so good. They're so influential. I did no. They're a bunch of thieves. You fucked up. You shouldn't have stole my shit. Well, they also that show though. Didn't they also famously show up with a bunch of dead deer and throw the oh, dead right. deer carcasses around yeah. the crowd? Yeah. Oh, God, it's just not cool. I'm sorry, boom. You know, uh, <laughs> I hope you I hope you came around with your little legion and uh, figured it out. But. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's all, uh, you know, I think it's really cool too, is in this like little kind of punk universe where there's just, um, you know, little guys that come in bands that come in that could have been the biggest band, but they're not, but they, they come through and the Ramones pick up their something from them. And then that they're in that story and they're essential in that, in that way. So I think it's all of value. Did you ever see Gigi Allen? I have. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually in, um, I'm told in the, uh, hated documentary. Really? I yeah. didn't know this. There's a scene at NYU, um, at Loeb center. And it's this like little kind of, uh, room with, uh, fluorescent lighting. As I remember, you know, like maybe, uh, I don't know, uh, 400, 500 square foot. It wasn't, wasn't big space. And it was um, actually I saw Fugazi in there. Their first show in New York was at the same the same space. Um, he came. We we went in. It was like a spoken word, so the chairs were out. We came in, and uh, Gigi was like in the corner. He just took off all his clothes. He went up uh, went up on the front of the po the the room and had a banana, and then he shoved the banana up his ass. <laughs> yes. And then just took the pieces of the banana and started throwing it at everybody in the audience and everybody ran and then he got arrested and the show was over like in five minutes. That was it. <laughs> Thanks. It was a real thrill trying to get run away from Gigi throwing a shit banana at you. And I don't know if I, someone else was at the show recently told me he was eating it or something. He had a yeah, little bit more, yeah. he had a little bit more um, memory of it. I was just, oh my God, this is just, this is nuts. Wait, you've never watched Hated? No. I saw what? some of his movies pr prior to Hated, like some yeah. of his films, and they were so fucking, so disturbing. I just, I don't know. I, I just find 
him interesting and i've heard some songs of his that are actually good i was just going because he was Gigi allen i wanted to see what kind of crazy shit he was going to pull and you know and it was he did he did he did not disappoint you got to watch the movie just for the part where dd accidentally joins the band and has no yes. idea what he's getting into okay so i'll watch i'll watch but i saw shit where he was like shitting on a person and like it was just sort of like almost like a snuff film it was like well, this is dark <laughs> oh I, is it the affliction video where he eats the french fries that the woman shits on stuff like that <laughs> yeah i was like oh my god i had to like i turn my head away and then look at it again it's like oh, i did it again <laughs> and he's just like beating people or getting beaten up it was just really yeah. dark um, yeah, yeah it's, it's not a it's not a light hang that's for sure he is buried in the same graveyard as my grandmother really like i can see his grave from my grandmother's grave wow. in littleton new hampshire tiny little town and that's hampshire. pretty cool yeah Damn. um they took down it they had to take his uh gravestone away because people were shitting on it <laughs> oh my god of yeah. course um oh that's so but, sad you know, important guy you know what i mean really kind of uh a certain kind of uh wild artist you know in a way yeah margaret cho on this podcast called him one of the greatest american artists of all time yeah i i don't <laughs> know be about his work but uh i see where she could be going with that i mean he's very provocative and uh it's performance art you know what i mean it wasn't about i guess my misperception at the time was that you know that his he's in a band and his band's not that good you know what i mean mm -hmm. he just like does does a lot of crazy shit to freak people out um and uh but i i was i think now i see it more yeah it's more as performance art and I, i'm i'm sure like that's kind of what he's probably seen as now because ray and purcell went and saw him live right there's that famous photo oh, yeah photo. yeah oh yeah they were fans they were big fans and they um i think he threw shit at that show is a shit throw show <laughs> yeah i think there's john caster from the doughboys said that when he showed up in montreal and he was doing the show he got off the bus with just a brown paper bag full of x lags and he's like that should have been my first time this was gonna go wrong right like i wanted to go but i was like what if i'm the poor son of a bitch that catches the shit on <laughs> on their head like <laughs> you mean the lucky son of a bitch yeah yeah i guess so at the time i was going like, to a gallagher I'll show. everyone clean <laughs> but but now this would be my go-to podcast story yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The uh, you know Joey Cape from Lagwagon, uh huh, yeah. He told me that one time he showed up at work when he was working in a venue, and walked in the room and there's just shit everywhere, and uh, the guy, his boss, is like, "Yeah, some guy named Gigi Allen played here last night, and oh my, God. it was a mess." And he's like, "Yeah, I quit. <laughs> I quit. Yeah. I'm gonna go to music full time." I draw the line at human shit, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> A banana with shit on it is about as close as, as I'd ever want to come to it, you know. But uh, he uh, amazing, amazing. I'm really glad I got to see him. And uh, I think I'm in. Uh, someone told me that they saw me in the the movie Running Away. Oh, I got to rewatch it now. <laughs> yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to do another rewatch. Yeah. Excuse yeah. to break out a family classic. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean the holidays are coming up. The holidays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did Did you ever catch any of that New York performance art stuff that would have been happening? you know around the mid 80s uh joe I, coleman and, and kember fowler and all that kind of stuff uh i was not really into that i mean as a teenager i was like very focused on like hardcore i wasn't really i didn't really get follow art too much until i was like in my late 20s and 30s i kind of started to like uh dabble in the arts 
you know, but, uh, I, uh, I mean, there's always so much going on in New York. There were so many different scenes. It was just like, and also I ended up like on tour for so long, but, uh, but no, I, I, I didn't really get into that until, you know, maybe a little bit older. It's funny how that once again, those weirdly connected punk like Jawbreaker was doing the soundtrack for a lot of those performance pieces. That's amazing. I mean, I wish I, I had, uh, been exposed to some into those circles more, but, uh, but you know, I was, uh, those guys weren't straight edge. So it really wasn't, uh, <laughs> not going to happen to me. <laughs> Sorry guys. I love where you're going with this, but, uh, <laughs> you guys are on edge. You guys don't have to edge up. Yeah. There, there should have been some straight edge performance artists back. I guess that's moshing. Moshing is straight edge performance. Yeah. Art. I had enough art going on. Honestly, I didn't need any of this crappy, uh, you know, uh, Cooper union stuff. I was doing my, uh, straight edge art. <laughs> How much art can you take after all? How much art can you take? Which is such a cool song because while it is like, like kind of taking a shot at like, uh, you know, sort of abstract uh, modern art is actually art. Profoundly. Profoundly. Yeah. It's like probably the most, you know, like it is, it is one of the most out there artistic expressions from that time period. For sure. Like musically, it's nothing sounds like SSD. You know what I mean? No. Like, I think that all their music is, you know, at least on, on the, you know, the, the kind of uh, the, the early kind of uh, stuff is like, um, I mean, I was listening to Get Away recently and it's just like, it's like My Bloody Valentine meets the Stooges meets like nothing you've ever heard. And the most weird thing about it is that it's talking about like someone smoking cigarettes. Like that's the subject matter. Like it's, yeah. it's very interesting mix of, of, of things it's so weird and amazing and um uh really hard to put a finger on you know what i mean it's it's really it's like this it's kind of marketed as not marketed but like presented as like st straight edge hardcore or something which is like so re reductionist in a way like mm -hmm. because it's like so it's like that's the least of what it is to me yeah uh, to me that's also the first hardcore band because everything prior to that was influenced by punk like minor threat was yeah. influenced by punk and al is unabashedly like he didn't like punk like he was only into this hardcore stuff and that was and that's i guess where the sound comes from is it's, it's like it doesn't sound like anything because he's just kind of starting from scratch with it it doesn't sound like anything and and the rhythms like um there's some identifiable rhythms that I think like youth today really popularized in a way, like it's kind of like do do kind of thing. But like, and I guess like negative approach did that kind of thing too, actually. Um, but like there's so many weird rhythms, uh, like and, and there it's always shifting gears like on on SSD records, and it's like so imaginative, and like the guitar sounds are so cool i i just it's, it sounds like genius but i know that they were just doing it you know they weren't like i'm, I'm guessing i don't think that they obviously didn't have any pretense about it like they're just doing it well it's interesting talking to al because like when he talks about guitar he talks about it like it's a tool like he's like i looked yeah. at a guitar as being like a tool that makes sense and, and it was like for this job that i was going to go and, and do and so yeah like it's a real different approach and it's almost like it's almost like different than anti rock star. It's almost like just like anti musician. Yeah, for sure. And it's very like, yeah, when you think about like, 
Yeah, I guess in the same way I was saying, like, it's almost like My Bloody Valentine or like Sonic Youth. Like, it's got this sort of like um, uh, roughness and sort of like amateur aspect. Amateur is maybe not the right word, but, you know, like kind of like, I don't know, like kind of like caveman aspect to yeah, it. Yeah. And uh, but yet at the same time, it's just so goddamn like. I don't know. It's so goddamn artistic to me. It's just amazing. And, and, and that's where the lyrics are just sort of like, that's the only thing that kind of tethers it to some sort of like to earth in a way, the rest of it's just so far out to me. The music is could live like without vocals, but the vocals are amazing, you know, and, and the subject matter, you know, for me personally, like, um, you know, that shit's inspiring, you know what I mean? It, it surely was when I was, when I was younger, to be like, um, yeah, don't you dare steal my air. You know what I mean? Make this like incredible, like composition about secondhand smoke. Like it's just, just I don't know. It, I'm, I'm maybe tripping on it in some sort of musical art kind of way. It's just a song, but I, I just <laughs> think it's cool. Uh, when uh, Sam McFeeders was on, he talked about this like ideal moment in New York hardcore. It was like an underdog show he went to. And just to him, that was like the perfect vibe where it hadn't gotten so violent that it was, you know, scary or, or just mm-hmm. like, you know, just it was obviously always kind of violent because mm-hmm. that's what hardcore is. But but also at the same time, it was just like it felt like everyone was united and all the scenes were together. I was wondering what like what to you was like sort of the the peak time for New York hardcore? Uh, there was probably just a, a like a summer or two where uh i guess it would have been after um you know the first couple of revelations records came out you know maybe like uh that first little compilation record to where like every weekend there would be like uh, a local band that could fill cbs hmm. and um and i think it was because it was coming from uh you know the, the the forces that were really pushing it was youth today because uh because revelation records was ray's label um and uh which had an appreciation obviously of like what the AF or Chromags were doing on a, on a sort of musical level, but AF and the Chromags were kind of around touring and doing so they weren't really like in New York as much. Uh, they were sort of on a different plane, but it was all like bands like Gorilla Biscuits, um, Side by Side, uh, Sick of It All, uh, Breakdown, Altercation, like uh, Outburst, uh, all these up and comers, like all peers of mine, you know, who are, you, you, we were coming up, um, we're making bands and every week we'd be playing either like CBs or the pyramid club. They did, they did matinees. Um, and there was just a lot of, a lot of diversity, you know, in terms of like the kind, like underdog, for example, like didn't really sound like the other stuff that people were doing. They were kind of like in their own lane, but it all mixed. So you had all these different people that, you know, and I was going to all these shows. So like I would, if I had seen underdog like a month or two before, and then they played again two months and they had a new song, like I was a hundred percent experiencing that new song and like uh, listening, but also dancing to it. So I was like learning how it worked through my body actively. And like, if their new song was good, I'd be like, fuck, I, I want to make a song that good. And I'd be like, I want to make a song that works like that. 
um, you know, and this is as my like, you know, whatever, like musical kind of side of me. Um, but there were so many bands doing that and some, and a band would come up and they just have like a sick new song each week and you were following that progress. So it was that experience of, um, you know, let's say we were talking about that uh, meet me in the bathroom time where they said, you know, these all these new bands coming with new records and it's exciting and all that kind of stuff. But this was before records. So you're like actually live experiencing it and it's all your peers. So it, it was, I think like, I guess it would be 87, 88. And, uh, you know, just kind of managed, it got, it just was peaceful too, because it was like, like I said, driven by youth today and driven by like the diversity. So people kind of had a more of a mind to like get along, you know? Um, and there was a lot of people coming from surrounding areas, like, you know, like Sam McFeeters is from Albany. So there's a lot of people coming from like around the country, like either going to NYU or like traveling in from New Jersey, traveling in from Long Island, traveling in from Westchester, it had become safe enough and like well-known enough that you had all these new people that didn't really have, um, didn't really have like uh, such an attitude yet. You know what I mean? They were just like there for the music. Yeah. And the idea of going to CBGB is the lower side. And like, that was enough excitement for them. So and the message was generally positive. I mean, you look at Warzone, they were like singing about all this, like, you know, don't forget the struggle, don't forget, all this kind of like more uplifting kind of stuff. And that was just the mode for like a couple of years as that revelation stuff was happening. And then, um, you know, I think like any scene, it just kind of gets a little too, it kind of falls under its own weight and it just kind of um, gets too too sort of cliched and people just go to college and start smoking weed and they don't care anymore. And it just kind of like worked out like that. But for a time, it was such a great group of people that were being influenced by each other. And even I think to Sam's, uh, to credit to him, like, I think as that scene that I'm, I was talking about kind of fell apart, that sort of like underdog idyllic time, uh, the scene moved kind of sidestepped over to ABC No Rio, a certain part of the scene. And I thought that was the part that I related to the most because they were like, just more about the music, about the, the less about the posturing. And, uh, and if the posturing was anything, it was like, sort of be fun, be silly, be, um, you know, there's a certain politicalness to it that I would relate to sort of like that DC influence, but it, it kind of was reborn there. And um, that was inspiring to me too. Like Quicksand played our first show at ABC No Rio. And that was like, that was like, I wanted that. Like, I didn't want to um, be a part of the, of that other scene really so much anymore. It just wasn't for me. But by, it's funny because by the time, you know, as you're saying, it's kind of subsiding 89, there's already like the youth crew thing had spread. Like there's already like yeah. youth crew style bands. Yeah. Almost immediately popping up all over the place. Like, oh, it's, yeah. It's interesting because like, I guess Riot Girl was like that too, uh -huh. in a certain way, like where, where it became, it was such like a infectious thing that young people all over, well, ultimately the world, but like all over America and Canada immediately picked up on that youth crew thing. And, you know, oh, became, yeah. became a style. I mean, we were doing youth today. I remember we did a tour in Europe. It, well, we did our first tour in 87, the national tour. Like we hit all these different places and the places were like these sort of like punk, like they didn't know what the hell was going on. There was a sort of like metal. Uh, it's just sort of like a 
uh, you know, this sort of like spare parts, hardcore punk scene across the country. And Youth Today, I think, was a very much like, get your shit together, put on this T-shirt, mosh now, this is how you do it, Get the, shave your fucking head, get some good sneakers on, and we'll come back in six months and get your shit to clean your fucking room. It was almost like Jordan Peterson or some bullshit, you know, to like trying to get, straighten this shit out. And, um, and we came back, uh, you know, within a year and like literally the scenes would completely change. And this is, you know, and, you know, we could have told them there's a whole bunch of fucking records coming, buy all of them, do it. And um, and that's what happened. And we went to Europe and the same thing happened. I mean, you said I went played Europe like for two months. I went back with Gorilla Biscuits. Back then it was like Europe. They didn't know what the hell was going on. You know, they were just like, you know, we're playing all these squats and they just they were just like in some other punk time. You know what I mean? Like uh, and, you know, they were like into like birthday party and like, uh, you know, crass and like. And we just came like a fucking, uh, yeah, this like, you know, Justice League <laughs> to like clean up the squats. And it fucking worked. And I understood why a lot of these squatter guys fucking hated us, um, even though we shared their politics for the most part. You know, it's like we came in as this sort of like gentrifying force in a way. But at the same time, like our politics were like pretty on point, I think, for like the time, you know. Wasn't there like, is it like Doom in the UK at one show? It's just like heckling you guys. Like there's a famous show where like all these British crust dudes showed up and are yeah. just like screaming at you through the day. Yeah, they, they were threatened by it. I don't know who they were, but any sort of like heckling battle was just like so welcome at a Youth Today show. It was because <laughs> Ray was just, you couldn't fuck with Ray. He was just, yeah. and and it worked not only on on. And I totally understand why, uh, you know, a crusty doom guy would see like this, like short haired American, uh, you know, fist coming to fuck up their whole thing. Uh, and in a way, a very super American seeming thing. Um, uh, I understand why they would be threatened by it. Uh, and, you know, here they're all into drinking and we're into not drinking. It's like these guys were probably like, I came to, into punk to have like a good time, get drunk and fuck around and dress crazy. And like the, the popular trend is now the opposite of that. Like that sucks. Um, I get it. But, um, but Ray was just like, you could not fuck with him. You, he's, he's funnier than you. He's louder than you. And he's very, very smart. Um, and, uh, and it was amazing when we, I remember one show, we played two shows one, one time on that tour. And uh, in the, in the, the afternoon matinee show a riot broke out with these like metal heads because like one of them just had some i don't know ray just like said something offended him blah 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 and and it just turned into a full-scale riot like i got punched everyone was punching it was like out of a fucking movie and um we got out of that whole scene uh like you know it, it was insane and then we drove to the second show and it's like full it's like a smaller show but it's like full straight up Nazis at the show, God. like skinhead. Uh, I remember this one guy had like a swastika tattoo on his neck on his fucking Adam's apple. And it was like, thick. and um, because Ray youth of today looks Nazi, I think a little bit. Well, yeah, if you're, if you're just like, don't know, you just see a guy with a white guy with a shaved head. Going like and, this with his yeah. fist in the air. I mean, it looks, it, it, you know, like same thing as with, um, you know, Soviet propaganda, Nazi, you know, it takes on these sort of 
the, these sort of postures. And I think you today, not thinking about it, like had some of that in it, but Ray had like a, a, a Krishna tale in the back. Like we were, you know, we were like, you know, we're preaching, you know, anti-racism and all this kind of stuff. So, but these guys did not get the memo on that. These Nazis, they crawled out from under their rock as the Nazis will do from time to time. And they're all at our show. And like, these guys were like grown men. And um, we're like, we're going to get our fucking asses beat. We just went to this other show. I got punched and got in a whole big fight. Uh, You know, it was kind of glorious and romantic, but now we're like, now we're just going to get beat up by grown men who are Nazis. And um, Ray Capo just came at these motherfuckers 100% unapologetic, just went straight after them with like, uh, you know, just anti-racism, like uh, the, the, the same positive messages, like he was fearless. So to anyone that fucked with him, like whether that whatever physical threat and, and, and that hadn't been the first time we've encountered that because there's a lot of fucking Nazis in the in the punk scene at that time. Um, uh, depending on where you went a lot in the south uh and for some reason in belgium and and i guess in maybe in scandinavia but i didn't really experience it too much but um so like it was just uh a very very if i went to that show and i saw youth today come up here and confront all these fucking nazi people i'd be like that's my bad you know yeah. what i mean yeah. and i think that that's uh, you know, and, and for the, you know, the squatter, like, I don't know anything about the doom UK crusty guys. I, I am not saying anything about them, but like that contingent of people who were probably like the old guys at 25 and 26 who were like <laughs> running the squats, you know, with like dreadlocks and all that kind of crap. Um, like a lot of those guys were all like, you know, former junkies and stuff like that. And, uh, and or presently junkies and they were running the punk scene. And I think for like these kids coming up in the late 80s, you know, who are getting into skateboarding and, you know, the, the, the wall is coming down and all the shit's coming on. That was no longer the appealing image of the future to them. Like, I think Youth Today really had the vanguard at that time with uh, me, you, youth crew. Let's mosh. You know, that that it's kind of like fuck art, let's dance a little bit. Um, yeah. And but don't do any drugs. Well, it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting because you're the same thing like you're saying about coming to these towns and, and almost like proselytizing and converting. Yeah, absolutely. People. It's like the same thing happens when you hear about that first Patty Smith tour when she mm-hmm. goes around America. Yeah. And then you hear about the Black Flag tours yes. famously too. Um, and it's just you almost need these moments to happen where these bands will come to town and then everything bad brains too. You hear about the bad brains yeah. coming to town and everything changes afterwards. Like where these bands come to town and it just shakes everything up. And hundred percent. I think the thing that was kind of sucky about it, not sucky, but just was, it was a bit interesting is like, so you today did all this like amazing shit and, and got this whole ball rolling. And then when it was really rolling, Ray got into Krishna consciousness and was just like, it's kind of over. We got to go yeah. like, it's it, it, so that kind of like, Obviously, he he went into shelter and did really great stuff with that, but it was like a different motivation. And uh, and GB, I just kind of like I, we didn't really have that mantle for the straight edge movement anyway. You know yeah. what I mean? But we were just sort of benefiting from it in a way. Um, so you know, but it was left there for for other people to discover and to kind of take what they what they want out of it. Um, you know, which we continue to see. It's interesting. Like, where would it have gone though? Like, if if Ray had, if you guys had kept going, 
you know, like, where was the path to go? Like, you know, like it's pre Nirvana exploding. So there's not even that alternative lane. Like, it's interesting to think because that's what you read about. Like it started getting like a fever pitch where it was catching on with people. And there was like sort of this like momentum. Yeah. And and I think, as you're saying, Gorilla Biscuits on your next European tour. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people like talk about that tour as being so legendary, but it's interesting to think if it had been Ray up there proselytizing and it'd been these crowds of people taking it in, like what would have been the next step? Well, I think it would have been much bigger. I, I think, um, I mean, listen to the, the, the last youth today release is very good. I think the, uh, Disengage. it's like a four song EP or three song EP disengage. It's really good. Um, mm -hmm. we could have made an album like that and yeah. it would have been hard to fuck with, you know, it's only like four songs. And if we toured it and like kind of, but you know, just, it wasn't like that, you know, it's like a passion for a certain thing at a certain time, obviously like Ray, was just on a path. It wasn't like, he's like, Oh fuck straight edge. It's not cool anymore. It was just like, that wasn't enough for him. Um, for me, I thought, well, that sucks. You know, like I even thought it was, it sort of, and I hope none of my Christian friends get mad at me for this, but like, you know, Ray had the little, uh, the, T, the, the Sika, I think is what it's called on the back of his hair at, on that European tour. Um, you know, which is like this little kind of bit of hair like your whole head shaved but you got this little bit of hair in the back and i was just like god damn it dude why do you got to have that stupid thing it behind it, it, you know what i mean like we're trying to be this straight you know what i mean like just like from a marketing point of view it doesn't make sense like we're trying to create this image <laughs> yeah. and but that's what he was into so it was like he was being his true self and um you know and i didn't really it wasn't something that i was on board for it's not like i was against it or anything like that at all uh but i just thought we're we were on Caroline records, you know, like we're poised to really break through, but um, I don't, it's not like I'm bitter about it or, or anything like that. I, I do wish we had um, recorded a full length though, rather than an EP. Cause I think we were just, I don't think we're not in this loan really shows how good we were. I think we were like, just very, I, I think we were just like a really fucking good band at that time. And, and Ray's such a great vocalist and such a great lyricist um i think he just he was just as good as many good people as there were at that time in my opinion like he was he was not really easy to beat like he was the top guy yeah and there's also like that that x factor that certain people have as a front person where you just can't take your eyes off them yeah when they're on stage and it's like that's the intangible that like so few yeah. bands have like yeah. that's the uh you know i don't know that's the, that's that x factor thing but, yeah you know who yeah. was at you know who was at your london show on the grill biscuits tour huh oh Evo yeah from, evil from jackass oh really that was his <laughs> first show that's iconic man dude that's what got him into hardcore there's a photo of him with a gb shirt on oh i've and, seen that but yeah. i didn't know he was in in london at for that show that's wild i thought you were gonna say someone else um although i love that steve-o is like you know, iconic for GB and his little in his GB t-shirt shirt. Yes. You know what I mean? It's of course it's Steve-O. It's of course it's Steve-O. That's like, you know, and also I think like, you know, we're talking about great artists, greatest artists of the 20th century. Forget Gigi Allen, Steve-O. Yeah. You're right. He's it's very much in line with with Gigi Allen, actually. It's like a straight edge. That's true. He's like a straight edge, even though he wasn't straight edge, obviously. Definitely not. Definitely. But not. it's like but you know what I mean? In the way it's like a clean skater version of, uh, of Gigi Allen. 
It, it's Gigi Allen without all the shit. Like there with, was a lot of shit with a, without this literal shit. Maybe a little bit of shit. Yeah, but but like none of the musical baggage and none of the uh, the the. Yeah, like none of the problematic. Well, maybe a little bit, but not, not as much problematic stuff. As <laughs> yeah, Gigi. yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, there's definitely a lineage there. I wonder if I saw if I were to have Steve on the show, Steve O on the show, I would maybe explore how much how aware he was of Gigi Allen. Well, this is why you need to listen more. Turn out a punk, Walter, because he has been on the goddamn show. <laughs> okay, dude, I'm sorry. I'll check. I, it's good that it's there. That it's archived. Of course, he's on the show. And also, uh-huh. Wee Man too from Jackass was on the show. Ooh. So oh, oh, cool. Both. Cool. Great, great guys. Um, I know who else was at that show at, uh, in London was, and that shit was crazy. So this is like, this is like youth today was at that point we were like, had this huge feature in ID magazine. Uh, like we were really, there's a, it was insane, dude. Or it was, maybe it was the face. It was the face or or ID like about straight edge. And we're talking about how England like creates these like sensations. Like we were getting that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, what's her face? Um, uh, polystyrene was at the show. Whoa. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's and awesome. Not only did I, uh, meet her at the show, but me and Ray stayed at her house that night. Like no after way. the show, it was amazing. And like the next morning I, w- I slept on polystyrene's couch and, um, in my sleeping bag. And in the morning, uh, she woke me up singing this like beautiful Krishna song. And uh, it was incredible. It was like uh, definitely like one of my my early and best memories that I've got from this whole game. That is awesome. Yeah, That's yeah. Amazing. And we, I remember driving with her to her house after the show. And because she was in a Christian consciousness. So that's how she knew. She didn't know from like the face or ID. Yeah, but um, yeah. uh, and so we were kind of like obliged to talk about Krishna stuff. And um, so I would be like, Oh, um, you know, Ray would ask her Krishna thing or something like that. And I'd be like, oh yeah, that's really interesting. And do like a follow-up question about the Krishna thing. And I'd be like, so what was, um, you know, Billy Idol like in <laughs> this thing? You know what I mean? So we'd have to like kind of ba- balance the scales of like Krishna question, Krishna qu- follow Krishna, punk question, punk question, punk question, punk question, <laughs> Krishna question. Oh yeah. Krishna, it's, that's very interesting. What was Johnny Lyler? <laughs> and like playing that game with her and she was uh she told me i remember a time about how she was um at paul mccartney's house the night that uh keith moon died because paul mccartney's kids were into x-ray specs and so he she was invited to the mansion and then word reached you know and everyone was talking about keith moon dying that night at the party and you know i mean it's such a long time ago she told the story but like I don't know, just a little glimpse into her life. And she, yeah. she's really cool. Beautiful that's, singer too. Like her, awesome. her punk work doesn't really tell the story of what a beautiful singer she is, was. She actually has like a record she did, I think in the mid eighties. That's really good. Like yeah. just the stuff she's doing vocally. Like obviously it suffers from the production of the time, but yeah, yeah, yeah. what she's doing is, is awesome on it. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's right. an infamous pressing actually of can't close my eyes that showed up in Toronto where the B side was blank. And I guess the band just filled them in with different things. And there's one that had Ray's top five punk records. And I'm 90% sure X-ray specs was on that. Yeah. Well, world turns up day glow. Yeah. We were all into that. That was a big record. I, 
I do like to see her being celebrated now in the sort of context of, uh, you know, I don't know if it would be like Riot Girl anymore, but just this sort of like female empowered punk vibe because she's pretty iconic. She's she's pretty amazing. There's a great documentary that her daughter did actually that came out last oh. year, and her daughter came on the podcast to talk about it. And oh, it's cool. uh, yeah, it's really interesting. It's like once again, it, it's it's tragic too because as you're saying, she's an incredible singer and you know, in a different time, she probably would have had this whole post X-ray specs career that would have been incredible to kind of see happen. Yeah, but after oh bondage up yours, no one wants to hear this nuance bullshit. You know what I mean? They just <laughs> well, like, don't. You know, that's the problem. That's also the problem with punk is like you write a song at seventeen, you better be prepared to carry it around for the rest of your fucking life because some kid yeah. will always bring it up to you. You always got to like you know, kind of yeah. It's it's. You know, it's also like anytime some, someone is introduced to you, like you can't get, you know, you only meet people. There's some sort of saying, like you meet people, you make first impression one time, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I know you as O-Bondage, what's up yours? I like you. We're cool. And then you're throwing some other stuff. Then I kind of got to work a little bit. It makes my mind work. And I, it's, most people don't really want that too much. Yeah, but like, you know, like, once again, to go back to what you do, you're you're able to kind of do it where, you know, you can recondition people, you yeah. know, in terms of what you're doing. And yeah. it takes a little bit of work, like you're saying, but, you know, we're, we're punk is the is the center of people with second acts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you think know, if you, you can be, have that, absolutely. Did you know Daft Punk were a punk band? Doesn't surprise me. And Air? Doesn't surprise me. I, I mean, that's you how you... I think the other thing is like, I don't know if it was like in Canada, it was probably the same, but it's like, if you wanted to, I just remember kids in high school that learned how to play guitar much better than me at guitar. You know, they were just like, I'm going to make it, you know, like I'm going to get discovered by some person and they're going to like, um, you know, put me on TV or the radio or something, you know, I'm going to get discovered is what people were waiting for. And I think like punk is the antithesis of that. It's like, I'm not, gonna get discovered like i'm coming at you with some shit so like you don't you just book the show you just play the music that you have and uh you know that's it like and i think that's such a great way to learn as opposed to being like just waiting for some guy to show up to a showcase to like you know what if it's the wrong asshole that discovers you you know what i mean you're discovered by the wrong guy you know what i mean that happens to people but if you're like doing it from your heart and doing it with your friends and you're enjoying all these steps of the way and uh and you don't you're not waiting for that thing for somebody to like give you permission or to sort of like validate what you're doing then it's it's much more powerful and uh and then you can then you can move you know what i mean like all these different people did or like you know the clash for example you know uh, did as famously you know where they're evolving through all these different things or like um you know, so many bands. I mean, you just cited a few that are really great. Well, Walter, this has been really great. Oh, and man. I agree. Anytime you want to come back here, Jason, you too, man. Hey. Anytime you want to come back, you guys are always welcome. Oh, thank you. 